Hey guys, we're here this week for top fives and deep dives. Justin on this end, Mike on the other. Hey, we uh, we're coming to you this week with our first top five centric episode. So pretty much the format is we're each going to give a couple top five lists, go back and forth. This week we're talking about films we each love that are universally hated, and then films that are universally loved that we don't quite like. Maybe not hate, but we definitely don't like them. And some of them we do hate. So that's what's in store. Mike, do you want to you wanna tell them a little bit about the process in picking these movies? Yes. Yeah, so basically we realized early on that we would have to have a common sort of barometer that we'd use to discuss the movies. So we decided on Rotten Tomatoes being probably the most popular rating site for movies. Uh, however, looking into the tomato meters, uh, we, scores, we really realized that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Uh, just as an example, the tomato score for Grandma's Boy is 16%, and it should be 100%, so that's just wrong. Uh, so <laughs> instead, we're going to use sort of a combination of the tomato meter, but leaning heavily on the actual audience score that Rotten Tomatoes provides with, with a little bit of discretion. Um, and that's how we, yeah, so that's how we agreed kind of on the scientific side of what people love and don't love. Yeah, so pretty much the tomato meter is obviously the critics. So we're doing a little mix of what the critics thought, what the audience thought. And if those match up on either end of the spectrum, it might be on our list. So we have no idea what each other has picked. And it's it's going to get interesting. There's definitely, I think the only thing that we did talk about throughout the week, we both had a lot of, a lot of different films in mind. And some of them were obviously films that we watched when we were kids. And some of those... We then went and rewatched this past week, which sometimes led to being like, eh, okay, this movie actually sucks. Or sometimes it was like, no, no, this, this movie's awesome. And I'm going to defend it to the death today. Yes. Yeah, so with all that out of the way, you ready to dive in? Let's dive in. So we're going to start I'll- with films we love that are universally hated. You want to go first? I can't wait. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to start. So, so excited coming in at number five, I am going with screwed. Screwed. Do you remember this movie? Mike? Oh my God. What is that? It sounds so familiar. It it came out in the year 2000. It's a comedy. It's, (laughs) it is, it is that comedy with Norm MacDonald and Dave Chappelle and Danny DeVito. Have you oh, seen this? Yes, but not since like 2000. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. All right. So pretty much, guys, if, if you don't know what this movie is, it was this this little known crime comedy totally bombed at the box office. It's pretty much Norm MacDonald, who is, I think, heavily underrated. I mean, Dirty Work is incredible. It's so funny. So funny. But so Norm MacDonald in this, he plays this this chauffeur for a rich, a rich lady, a rich old lady played by um, Elaine Stritch. And so he kidnaps 
her dog, thinking he's going to hold the dog for ransom. But when they kidnap the dog, he does this along with his friend, who's played by Dave Chappelle. The dog sneaks back out of the car during the kidnapping, gets back into the house. And so when she wakes up and she gets the ransom note, she thinks that Norm MacDonald, her chauffeur, has been kidnapped, which leads to quite a set of, of hijinks throughout the whole movie. It truly, I don't think there are many people that know what this movie even is. What are the scores on it? The scores are, so it got 13% on the tomato Oof. meter from the critics. 48 audience, so a, so a little bit better, fared a little bit better there. But just so that everyone knows, if you're familiar with Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, you, you've still got a hit. So the way, that, the way that Rotten Tomatoes, at least on the critic end of things, it has to be at a 60% to be considered what they call fresh or good. And I'd say on the audience side, it's it's a similar rating system, but let's put it this way. For a movie with a 13% critical rating, you'd need it to have at least a 60 or 70 on the audience side for it to be considered something that's pretty, pretty widely disputed with the critics, if that makes sense. Agreed, yeah. I don't. I can't. I don't remember anyone ever telling me they liked this movie, <laughs> ever, since the, from the year two thousand to now. Well, you've got one. You've got one. And look, so I, I mean, I will say, Dave Chappelle, underrated acting career. Love him in Con Air, and obviously, Half Baked, one of the funniest movies of all time. And can we can we please not forget one of the greatest small roles ever, Dave Chappelle in Blue Streak? Dude, Blue Streak is a movie that I brainstormed for this list same turns out the audience score is 65 percent, which is pretty that's pretty much right on actually blue streak should not be higher than that. <laughs> oh, so underrated so right, so anyway. underrated anyway. but screwed so yeah screwed is my number five it's um what's actually really funny just a random tidbit about it is the directors it's two directors these guys scott alexander and uh larry karaszewski and so they also wrote the film and the thing is they've they've written other films ed ed wood man on the moon agent cody banks um are some notable ones but this is the only film they ever directed so i'm like oh my god i have in my list a film where the director is one director as well only one film he's ever done i mean it's it says a lot i have to say it really does it really does but yeah anyways i loved it i loved this movie as a kid my brother and i watched it quite a bit it's also so yeah it also has danny devito and sarah silverman and i mean it's just a fun little comedy there's it's it's harmless it's funny and I've always found it underrated, especially with Norm MacDonald just being underrated in the first place. This is, if any, if anyone that does like him knows Dirty Work, nobody knows this movie. This is like, 
the underrated film of the guy that's already underrated. Dude, remember when Norm Macdonald was Colonel Sanders for like a day? It was the greatest <laughs> cast ever. Yeah. And then they were just like, no, we're moving yes. on. You should be Colonel Sanders forever. It makes no sense why they would get rid of him. I have no, when I saw that, I was so excited. And then immediately yeah. it was gone. Fuck. I that, know. Yeah. Love it. Love it. But well, I love that pick, though. Love that pick to get us started. Thank you. Thank you. Please give us your number five. All right. My number five is a movie called Cursed. Do you Ooh, remember this movie? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Okay, so it's it's a horror movie, like a teen horror movie. Oh my god! From, from two thousand five, seventeen percent tomato score, thirty percent <laughs> audience score. Wow! So it's not well liked. I'll be honest. Uh, but let me just give you, uh, I'll give you some some highlights, maybe some lowlights. But there's a lot to like here. First of all. Stinkers Bad Movie Awards 2005, nominated for Least Scary <laughs> Horror Movie. Did not win, so just nominated. So I think that's a plus. I'll take that as a plus. That's a plus. But but you're going to be surprised here, truly. Director of this film, Wes Craven. What? Absolute legend, obviously. And wait, writer of this film, Kevin Williamson. So the whole what? Scream crew. The Scream crew, basically. Obviously, they've both done more. And Scream came uh, out the next year. Oh, wait. No, no, no. 2005. Okay, so much later. So this later. is between three and four. So this is like a hiatus movie where they were like still up and going, but they didn't have Scream 4, so they just decided to make another kind of teen horror movie. That is... I am mind blown right now. All right, let me read you the cast. Okay, okay. Okay. So there's two main stars. First one, Christina Ricci. Now, I'm pretty sure you already know this, but I will tell everybody here, in my formative years, I had a ridiculous and totally indefensible attraction to Christina Ricci. <laughs> uh, I would say it's still there a little bit, but like, it was a problem, and that's why I've seen this movie so many times. But I did rewatch it this week, and I stand by everything I'm about to say. Second star. Jesse Eisenberg. No, what? Yes, yes. Dude, 2005? Yes, dude. It's still, hold on. We're still going. We're still going. Joshua Jackson. No. Who's also in, who's also in Scream 2, but obviously Mighty Ducks. Big shout out. Wow. Milo Ventimiglia, who wasn't famous then, but no. you know, then was in Heroes and This Is Us, obviously. We've got Portia de Rossi. Also in Scream 2, How but again, obviously, Arrested Development and such. How are there this many people in this? Dude, we're still going. We're still going. Maya, the singer, plays a, <laughs> prom- a prominent role in the movie. But like, I'm just setting up people that obviously die because you could tell based on their acting. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, speaking of, Shannon Elizabeth, oh. who we obviously love from American Pie and Jane Silent Pop Strike Back, scary movie, blah, blah, blah. But you know she's going to die. Uh, and prominent role by Judy Greer, who we love from Archer, and obviously Fatty Magoo from Sunny. Obviously, but she's does, I mean, an Arrested Development, so on and so forth. I found out that Judy Greer has 145 acting credits on IMDb. So big shout out to her. Uh, we love you, but Judy. basically, so I've set up. There's a lot of people in this movie. This is like I've set something up here. I'm not going to say it 100 percent delivers, but basically. The plot of this movie is that 
everyone is turning into a werewolf. So (laughs) (laughs) both Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg, who are brother and sister, they're involved in like this accident where like they get bitten by what looks to be like a wolf, but is actually a werewolf. Um, And they turn into a werewolf kind of throughout the movie. And it's, it's not overly scary, but it instead it just uses like every teen horror trope possible. Like, like Milo Ventimiglia plays like a, a gay bashing bully that actually turns out to be gay. Like the, it's not, I'm not going to sit here and defend it as a great film, but 30%, that's, that's, that's low value. I mean, there's not a lot of werewolf movies out there. Not a lot of werewolf movies. So I got love for it. The werewolf looks good. Honestly, they show it a lot. It's not like a, uh, what would be like a good example of one where they kind of hide it, like even Alien, where like they barely ever show it. Okay, they show it a lot, and it looks good. And it's with that cast, directing, writing. How can you go wrong here? I am mind blown by this cast. I just, I mean, I, I have to watch it now. It's it. I'm not gonna lie, the plot sounds ridiculous and possibly terrible, but I'm so intrigued. Great. I'm so intrigued, and I need to watch this. It's and it's all it all takes place like in LA, so maybe you'll appreciate it. Oh, okay, okay. There's there's my number five. I think if anybody watches this movie, they will enjoy it. I'm not gonna sit here and say it's a great film, but like, it's way better than it's giving credit for. It. These 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 lists have kicked off hot. Love it. Tell me your number four. All right. So my number four may be as little known as my number five. It is the Arnold Schwarzenegger action pick, Collateral Damage. Oh, love it. 19% Wait, tomato meter. What? 90%? 27% audience. Oh, wow. Lowest so far. Yeah. So 2002. Um, and, and the director was Andrew Davies, Davis, who had done The Fugitive and Under Siege, which are other, like, pretty big action flicks. Also did Holes. Special, special fun fact. Um, Wait, is Collateral Damage the one with the helicopter at the end? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Um, but it's got, yeah, it's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's John Leguizamo, John Turturro, it's it's got a very young Tyler Posey, for all you what it, what he did he did Teen Wolf the the MTV yeah, right. show, right. Um, but the 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 long and the short of the plot is just Arnold's family is killed by a terrorist act, he's a firefighter, and obviously he goes he goes on a path of uh, of vengeance, and. I remember when this movie came out and and maybe it's because we we were around the age where maybe we were seeing rated R movies. It was, you know, 2002 I was I was 12 or 13 and I I thought it was so fun back then. It was one of the first movies I bought on DVD. It sort of had that a little bit more of that old school 80s 90s action vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it might have been might have been Arnold's last like f- really fun action film. I just I well, I don't know how it's hated on so much. 
I was going to say, I mean, that that's a weird time in film where there was just a lull in action. There was no new sort of action stars. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Jason Statham was the only one sort of carrying the flag, basically, until Expendables. But like it was those sort of like 80s, 90s style that nobody really wanted to make, but Arnold was still making a few. A hundred percent. Because I, th- I think Statham was just... Yeah, coming out with Transporter around now, which was sort of what kicked off him as like a solo action star, you know? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I, you know, I, I, I looked back on this one too. It's still fun. It's still just a good action flick. Of course, it's not a great movie, but it's just some mindless fun at its best, you know? Yeah, I can't, I can't fault fault you up for that one. And yeah, Transporter, the first one is two thousand two, so I mean, so same year. There, there as was this. a low. We needed action stars. I'm not going to fault Arnold for making that movie. Maybe we weren't ready for it, but I'm glad that the mindless action movie came back. Me too. We, Mike and I, are both big fans of the mindless action movie. That- speaking of speaking of mindless action movies, Ooh. I looked up for this list. Shoot 'em up. With Clive Owen, Ooh, yes. which is very, very much in the vein of Crank. And I thought it would be very like underrated. I mean, it is still underrated, but 67% critics, 65% audience. So not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought that would have been worse. I'm like, and Mike and I both love Crank, by the way. Big shout out to Crank. Definitely a future episode. Yes. You want to give your number four? Let's do it. Number four is a movie that I bet everybody will know. Semi-Pro. Wow. Great Real pick. movie from 2008. So I know that there's a lot of movies from this era of Will Ferrell that I, I didn't necessarily miss, but people didn't love right away. Like, what's, what's the ice skating one? Blades of Glory. Um, Blades of Glory. Uh, anyway, uh, again, this may not be the best one, but first of all, it's way funnier than people give it credit for. Uh, it also won the ESPY Award for Best Sports Movie, which is hilarious. But 22%, 38% audience. So pretty – I thought it would be higher, honestly. I love this movie a lot. And why I love this movie is because – I quick aside, but I, I used to love the NBA more than I do now. And I really, really love like NBA history. So this movie is about the ABA – which is like an offshoot league that merged with the NBA. It's not important, but the thing about the ABA is like it has this history that's kind of folklorish. Uh, there's basically one book that details this history, which is called Loose Balls, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but like f- having like read into like the history of this, it's very clear that Will Ferrell went above and beyond to actually research this obscure basketball league so that he could make a movie about it. And that's why it holds a special place in my heart. Like the ridiculous marketing stuff is straight out of the ABA. Like all the stuff you see now, like in the NBA, like halftime shows, even the dunk contest, three point line, like all of this stuff is from the ABA. And Will Ferrell does a great job of, uh, of parodying it here. You know, this team is like the Flint tropics, which is like, there's so many ridiculous like s- small town names of teams that were in the ABA, like the Minnesota Muskies uh, <laughs> or the Oakland Oaks. 
like just just hard, like crazy like low budget like no one would come to the games they had like this guy marvin barnes that's like notorious and like rumored to have just straight up done cocaine off the free throw line <laughs> like and all of this is like he gets it so well in this movie that like even if it's not the funniest ever it's I just appreciate how much he actually researched to like make such an obscure film. But it's yeah, Will Ferrell, Woody Harrelson, Andre 3000, uh, wow. Maura Tierney has obviously been in a bunch of shit and she's good in it. But directed by Kent Alterman, this is the only movie he ever directed. So <laughs> that's I can't really I can't really defend that, but it was written by Scott Armstrong who's also a writer for uh Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, Hangover 2, so a bunch of stuff. I I truly think this movie is is way underrated. I think it's funnier than people remember, uh, but really it just holds a special place in my heart. I mean, I need to add that I am obsessed with this choice that you just made because I also think Semi-Pro is like the most underrated Will Ferrell movie. Oh my god, really? Uh, yes, absolutely. I am going to give a hot take right now. I oh like Semi-Pro more than I like Talladega Nights. That is the hottest take I've ever heard. <laughs> that is scalding hot. Oh my god. I, I am not too big on Talladega Nights. I'm. Do I enjoy it? Yes, I'm, I'm a human being that likes to laugh, but... Yeah. Semi semi pro is so good. Like it's so underrated. Everything you said about it, Mike, Stan, you know, I, I feel the same, but it just, I actually can't believe that I didn't think to look this, this movie up and I'm glad I didn't. Cause I'm glad that we don't have one that's overlapping, but this is such a great movie. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend. And I'm glad that Mike brought it to light today so that hopefully a few more of you watch it. Dude, I'm so glad I know this about you now. I never would have assumed that you like Semi-Pro. Yeah. Or anybody likes Semi-Pro for that. <laughs> Incredible. So good. All right, tell me, tell me yours. Okay. Number three. My number three is the 1996 classic Biodome. Oh, yeah, okay. I can see that. Everybody hates this movie. Every, it has a 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Funny What's enough, the audience? the audience is 51. Okay. But just for good measure, I went to check out the IMDb score. 4.5, which if you get into the threes, you're in the bottom 100 movies ever. So... Well, I, I definitely, like, I mean, my reaction there was totally genuine. I didn't know you were going to pick that. That's a movie that is universally hated. Yes. I don't know how it gets to be 50%. Maybe it's coming back. But anyway. Anywho. I totally agree with you. So it's a comedy from 1996. It's led by Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. Not Alec Baldwin, but Stephen Baldwin, his brother. Big shout out to Pauly. Yeah, big shout out to Pauly and the comedy store. Um, Obviously, Mincy. But it's, it's got, it's actually crazy. There's so many random people in the cast, but Rose McGowan's in this. Wow. Kylie Minogue is in this. Oh, the pop what? star. I don't remember that. She she is. And go go look again. It's got Joey Joey Lauren Adams. Do you remember her? She was in a lot of movies around that time. 
in the 90s especially, you would definitely, definitely recognize her. I'll give you a couple movies she was in. She was in... Um, what was she in? Oh, she was uh she was uh the lead she or she was in Chasing Amy. Uh Days and Confused, right. yeah, 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 Big yeah. Daddy, Mall Rats. Um she's in a lot Oh yeah, she's like the love interest in Big Daddy, right? Yes, yes, exactly. She's in a lot of the Big Kevin Daddy. Smith films too. Oh, Kylie Minogue plays that doctor. Yes. It's all coming back. Yes. <laughs> and my favorite cameo, we'll call it in the movie. Jack Black and Kyle Gass as Tenacious D. Incredible. See future deep dive episodes. Absolutely. And it's like, right, just that. It's like, how can you how can you hate this movie with all that? Just just to start. And it uh if you're un if you're unfamiliar with it, the plot centers around Pretty much these two morons, these guys named Bud and Doyle, played by Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin, who their girlfriends are very invested in like saving the environment. And so <laughs> there's this group of environmental scientists who are going to lock themselves inside this big dome for a year to do different types of research. They're not going to have any contact with the outside world. And Bud and Doyle mistakenly end up in the biodome once the doors have shut. So they are just locked in there for a year with all these scientists. And you can you can envision what happens from there. But it uh I think it's fucking hilarious. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. I saw it when I was a little kid. That definitely elevated my liking of it. And I will fully admit that for whatever reason in the 90s, I just thought Stephen Baldwin looked awesome. (laughs) And if you look at it now, you're like, your definition of awesome was very skewed. How good is, uh, wait, it's Stephen, right? That's in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's like, uh, oh my God, yes. Cuts of crime, scene of the crime. For the, for the. I believe it is the Steven show. in that for the fake show. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so funny. Oh my god, dude, that was like his comeback. So good. But I will say that I think part of this is just Pauly Shore just has a bad rap in general, especially around this time. Whatever he made, people hate it. Everything. I for, I forget all the like, what was he in? He was in Encino Man. Um, it's sort of underrated. I know it is. It is. It really is. It's not bad. I, it's not on my list, but it's not bad. Hey, big Brendan Fraser, big, Sean Astin. Big shout out to Polly. My brother, actually, funny story. My brother Dylan, who again, he's going to be on some of these podcasts. He he's a writer in uh, Los Angeles, and he had an interview with Polly once at the Comedy Store. So, so for anyone unfamiliar, the Comedy Store is a very famous comedy venue in Los Angeles. Pauly Shore, uh, his family owns it. And so anyways, when Mike actually visited me from London and LA last year, we spent a couple nights at the comedy store and dream fulfilled. Hell yes. It was awesome. And anyways, so my brother gets called in for an interview and Pauly decides I'm not just going to interview 
one person, I'm just not going to tell any of them that I'm calling them in for a big group interview. And so, you know, usually if, if you're going to do a group interview, usually you're told that. Pauly just says, oh, come in for an interview, you know, this, this day at this time. My brother Dylan gets there. It's just a group of people sitting in the room. And he's essentially just like, all right, we're just going to go around and we're just going to see if you can handle the heat. And well, I'm just going to start driving you guys like flies. And wow, my brother, I don't know if I'd say that he didn't get the job or that he decided he didn't want the job. But let's just say it was a very interesting interview process. And Paulie's one interesting guy, that's for sure. He definitely is. He definitely it's still is. Unique, unique to this day. Yes. So, uh, but with this movie, all I can really say, my reasoning for loving it, it is a bad movie. There's, there's no question, but it's also such a fun movie. It, it's, there's nothing, in my opinion, to truly dislike about it. You've got two lovable goofs at the, at the, you know, the front, front center, center. Tenacious D is in it. They throw a party in the biodome. I mean, come on. If I'm just sitting around doing nothing, I could throw on Biodome anytime. Agreed. It's definitely got that that sort of TNT, like it's one o'clock, you're just sitting around, yes. throw it out of the background vibes. And that is exactly what it's good for. Doesn't deserve that 4%. Shame on you, critics. How dare you? How dare you? Mike, you want to give us your number three? Yeah, my number three is a movie called Never Back Down. No. Oh, my God. You didn't. Wait, is that on your list? It's not on my list, but I have a couple friends out here that live and die by that movie. Dude, Never Back Down is incredible. <laughs> I remember, so it came out in 2008. I remember seeing it, but it also comes on TV all the time, and I, I can't stop watching it, and it's still, it's, every time I watch it, I'm like, criminally underrated so it's 23 percent tomato meter 34 percent audience wow i know but it has i think there's three of them now so like i don't know how you get clearly they know that it's like a cult classic because they keep making them and it, yeah it's just so underrated i mean basically i can't sell you a fantastic cast i'm not gonna say that i can <laughs> but there is some notables so the main character is played by Sean Ferris, who's, he, I don't know, he's on Pretty Little Liars, but like I don't really know where else you would know him from. His sort of love interest is Amber Heard, uh, who I'm not really sure how much we want to shout her out right now. That's, <laughs> yeah. Let me just say allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the villain is a man whose name I've been trying very hard to pronounce for about 20 years, Cam... Gigan debt? Is that what we landed on? From the OC? I, I, I never knew how to pronounce it. I never knew how to pronounce it either. So you may have just butchered it. I'm going anyway, to Big shout out to the OC. We know this guy. If you don't if you don't know him from the OC, Volchek in the OC. Go watch that right now. Yep. I mean, what are you doing? Season three. Uh, Evan Peters is in it from American Horror Story. And then. Uh, well, so I'll give the last cast in a second, but basically this movie is almost exactly 
uh, Karate Kid, but remade in 2008, and it's with MMA. So the Mr. Miyagi character is, and we're going deep in the pronunciation here, but played by Jimin Hunsu, wow. which I think I've got that right. But uh, shout out to Benin. But uh, I mean, we know this guy from, I mean, Oscar nominated as a supporting actor, Blood Diamond and In America. Also amazing in fucking Gladiator, Amistad. I mean, everything. He's so good. He's amazing. Love this guy. And he plays the Miyagi character so fucking well. But yeah, so this movie, I mean, first of all, from what I've just said, not going to fault anything that's just basically the Karate Kid, including the Karate Kid with Jackie Chan and uh, Will Smith's kid. Gets me every time because I just love the story. <laughs> but really, dude, 2008, this is like a legitimate movie featuring MMA. I don't know if MMA is mainstream now, but it certainly wasn't 12 years ago. And yeah, some of the technique is legit. And it really like preaches like this kid has like an anger problem. And he learns to deal with it through through fighting and he becomes like a better person. Uh, and he, you know, he just wants to fight. There's obviously like a big battle at the end, but he doesn't really want to fight. And he's really just everyone that goes to the gym just feels good about themselves. And it depicts it in a, in a good way in the end. And as a gigantic fan of MMA, always appreciated this movie. So you want to hear the story of how I first saw this movie? Yes, I do. So, okay, there's three friends out here that when I say obsessed, I mean at least one of them says it's his favorite movie of all time. And oh my God. and they know that like nobody knows this movie or really likes this movie. They are obsessed. And so I've heard about it for years. About a year ago, my friend Larry, he says, hey, Big shout out to Larry. Big, big shout out to Larry. He's the one who I'm I'm pretty sure it might be his favorite movie ever made. It, it, if not number one, it's it's right up there in the top five. Oh my God, that's incredible. And as if so, Larry could get more Schwartz. It's so, he is as Schwartz as they get. Larry, this one's to you. Platter it up, buddy. Um, so that, that's an inside joke we'll share one day. Little little Larry and me story we'll tell when Dylan comes on the podcast. But uh, anyway calls me up one day says hey i think it's time you see never back down and he goes i want you to come over the the other two friends that are obsessed with it we're going to come over too and he goes i'm going to cook us big steaks and we're just going to eat steaks and watch Never Back Down. <laughs> what a fucking legend. <laughs> oh my God, I love Larry so much. And I've only met him once. He was incredibly amazing. What a guy. Oh, he truly, truly is a legend. Um, so I, I went over. We we ate incredible steaks. One of the best steaks I've ever had, honestly. And watched Never Back Down. And I don't know if the steak was actually that good or if just the movie was that good that it made the steak so much more enjoyable. Who knows? I like to so, say it was so both. But steaks and never back down, people. Do it for your next boys' night. Please. And it, or date night. I mean, really just any night. Any night of the week, it's completely acceptable. Encouraged, I'd say. And anyways, Mike, as you clearly have loved this movie for quite a while, I'll tell you. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, it's everything you just described about it, I, I'd say it's almost 
felt to me in the vein of like a Fast and Furious in the sense of I was laughing, of course, a lot at, at lines, but because they were so, they were so epic, yet silly, if that makes sense. Agreed. Yeah. It definitely doesn't take itself too serious. No, it's one of those fun, it's one of those fun action movies where I don't even know if I'd call it so bad it's good. I'd say more just like. It, exactly. It doesn't take itself seriously. It knows what it's trying to be. And it's a shitload of fun. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Wow. Well, glad that that one connected with you as well. Yeah. Thank, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you picked it. I'm, you're... Cannot wait to hear your number two. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. My number two. Anaconda. Ooh. Okay. Uh... Anaconda's. I'm gonna. I was gonna mention it later, but anyway, it's not. It's not on my list technically. Wow. Okay. So let me tell you why. Go. Thirty nine percent critics, tomato meter. Twenty four percent audience. Which is a rare feat to have it be higher with critics than audience, especially for bad movies. Yes, it's one of the only ones I found with that disparity i think it's actually only one of two that i was able to find the other one i did not include on my list and the 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 imdb score because i had to just check because i thought you know i i I fucking loved this movie growing up but imdb it's got a 4.8 so it's also very low there and i said wow i guess this movie's a lot more hated than i initially had had presumed and I went back and watched it and I was like, shit, this movie's still a lot of fun. John Voight still has the most ridiculous accent ever. And the snake looks a lot more fake than when I was, uh, than I was about eight years old watching it. It is horrible. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if the snake is worse than the accent. <laughs> Which, okay, if you had to describe the accent, what would you say? Because he's supposed to be Paraguayan, which the the thought that John Voight would be from Paraguay is already absurd. But he whatever he's doing doesn't sound Paraguayan. I don't even know. It just doesn't look like it should be coming out of John Voight's mouth. That's all I know. And it's outrageous. It is, it is outrageous. It is on another level. So just to give you guys a little bit of the the spiel about this movie before I go and in, go into it a little bit more came out in 1997. It's, it's like, it's like an action adventure movie. Some, you, you could say horror movie to an extent as well. Um, it was directed by Luis Losa. I, I apologies if I got that wrong. It's a double L L L O S A. He, Directed a couple other movies, sort of in that same span of years. This a movie called The Specialist, another movie called Crime Zone. It the cast is stacked in this movie. It, it had a lot of people at the beginning of their careers, and then John Voight. But it has the one and only Jennifer Lopez, J Lo. Double down on the musicians with Ice Cube. Incredible. Incredible. 
the one and only John Voight in what is personally my favorite role of his because of how outrageous it is. He overacts it to a ridiculous degree. <laughs> to such like, a ridiculous degree. And I, I found so out no extra. I am not alone in this because in when you look up online like what he's most known for, Anaconda comes up the most of any movie. As it should. As it should. It is also the ver- towards the very beginning of the one and only Owen Wilson's career. Owen Wilson is in this. Danny Trejo. Who doesn't survive the first minute. No. <laughs> He's in the first <laughs> minute of the movie. So much. He gets, he's been in so many things. Oh, I just so love many. it. He gets in there. Machete. Incredible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great cast. And if you haven't seen the film, the very... Short synopsis is that there's there's like a National Geographic film crew who is in, you know, they're exploring the Amazon looking for trot like tribes out there in the wilderness. And instead they meet John Voigt, who's this insane hunter, and he takes them hostage and forces them to accompany him on his quest to capture the world's largest snake, the anaconda. So it's ridiculous. And I need to preface this all by saying there is no, and I mean this, there is nothing in the world that frightens me more than snakes. I am. That is true. Terrified, like terrified beyond terrified. It's, it's such an irrational fear that I have it's when I go on hikes, I'm just, I'm looking around, I'm looking at the ground the whole time. I'm like, Oh fuck. Is there a snake around here? I, my girlfriend and I, she's also terrified. We sometimes will look up if there are snakes in locations that we're going to, because if there's, if it's an area that doesn't really have any snakes, we're like, Oh, this sounds fucking great. Let's go here. Let's take a trip here. Um, so my love of this movie is even stranger because of that. And what's even stranger is that I love snakes on a plane. But who knows? I like to torture myself. But Well, Andrew has our, our, our good friend, and I say that to say that we haven't met him yet, but hopefully someday we'll, Taylor Kitsch. Oh, my God. Stop it. That's true. He is our good friend. But back to Anaconda. I digress. Hate snakes. Love this movie. You know, it, 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 I'll admit with this one, similar to Biodome, I guess similar to most of the movies on this list so far, this, this isn't a good movie. You can't, you, there's no way you're watching this and saying, oh my God, this was, this was, this was great. But this is a really fun blockbuster. Like this was a, this was, I would almost call this a blockbuster at the time it came out in 97. Everyone knew what this movie was back then. It was it was a creature feature. It was some people again considered it a horror movie. Some people looked at it as just a sort of a big adventure blockbuster. Fun as hell. You can't not enjoy that cast. Might to me, it's one of Ice Cube's most enjoyable roles. He's he's legendary in this, 
and him and, and yeah, for sure, hundred percent. And it's just John Voight. I can't. I can't stop coming back to it. The accent is. It, the movie is worth watching just for his performance. You have to look it up. It's insane. If you don't watch the whole film, you have to at least look up scenes with his accent. It's totally unbelievable. Yes. And, and it's achieved legendary status as like one of the worst performances. Of all yes. And so, and again, this, this snake, when I was a kid, I don't know how I thought it looked real. It is so fake. It's just hilarious. But you're you're right though. Uh, this was a huge movie, and I don't think anybody was saying like the snake looks like shit. And I don't know if that people hated it that much back then. I mean, it got a lot of pub because because J Lo was in it. Yeah, like it was a huge movie. It was, and and that's why part of me hesitated to include it. But then I thought, you know, I actually haven't heard anyone mention this movie in at least a decade, probably more, and. The score is terrible. Again, it's the only one that I saw with that that disparity where the audience score was even lower than the critics. And I I then remembered that they came out with sequels that I don't think anyone ever saw in their right mind, at well, least. Au contraire. You sir. did. You did not. I don't think you remember because we... We were doing a rewatch of another show, but in April, back when all of this shit started or was going on, you know, we'd gone through Tiger King. Everybody had been like, oh, this is only going to be a few weeks long. You know, and once we realized the pandemic was here to stay, I did a double feature, Anaconda and Anacondas. You you did tell me. And I loved Anaconda and Anacondas was a better film which is to say it I ended up liking it less. So I fully support your position that it is Anaconda is not a good film, but that's part of what makes it so likable. Yes. Wow. I totally forgot that you did that double feature. That is unreal. I feel like now it is my civic duty to watch Anaconda too. Notable character Wink from 8 Mile. Wow. I don't remember him being in anything else as like a major player. Except this. He's in this film. <laughs> oh. I think it's called Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchid, or Curse for the Blood Orchid, or something like that. And the Anacondas eat blood orchids and it allows them to live forever, thereby growing to unimaginable size. <laughs> Sounds incredible. How could you not watch that movie? Yeah, it's great. So, anywho, Anaconda. It's my number two. Love that pick. Got to hear yours. Let's go. All right. Number two is a movie you know very well that I love. And the short, the score here was sh- shocking how low it was. Not the lowest on my list, but shocking based on the quality of the film. Club Dread. Yes! 29%, 44% audience. So still, we're still below even that 50% threshold and frankly i am shocked mike you know so everyone before we came on the podcast today i said to mike i said there's one movie i know is going to be on your list and i am going to be shocked if it is not and you know i know the man well because club dread was that movie wow okay i'm so glad i'm so glad i thought of it (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, so... All right, I'll explain a little bit about the movie. But for, first of all, the background of the film, this is this is a broken lizard movie. So the guys, you know, that did Super Troopers, Beer Fest, this is their take on a horror satire, like a horror spoof. Um, and I love horror movies, so I appreciate it for that. But it is, talk about hot takes, my, by far my favorite broken lizard movie, which is to say... I love Super Troopers. I love Beer Fest. This is my favorite one by far. And I think it, on just pure comedy, I think it's at the same level, if not higher. And if you're thinking of like a horror spoof as like scary movie where it's just like kind of stupid and like outrageous, this is so funny, so clever, so well written. It, it's incredible. It's so good. And Justin can tell you, but we... So we lived on the same floor freshman year of college and basically in my room with my roommate, either someone was playing Guitar Hero or we were just rewatching from this outrageous binder of DVDs that we had 24-7. And Conrad must have been shown, I don't know, like 70 times over the course of like two semesters. Club Dread was easily in the top three of the movies in that binder that were watched the most. And I'll tell you what those three movies were right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Club Dread, Lion King, Bad Boys, Boys 2. two. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Dude, and uh, I had a few people over for Halloween, I think two years ago. And we were like, oh, let's watch a movie. And no one knew what they wanted to watch. And I was like... Well, obviously, this oh and it is—it actually is a little bit scary at times. Like the horror parts are not that bad. Like clearly, it's a comedy, but like they—they they do the horror parts justice. Yes, uh, all the you know the cast is all the guys that you know. Obviously, cast in different roles. Um, Jay Shandrasekhar directed it. Has the addition of Bill Paxton, amazing. Who obviously, people know from you know Big Love and stuff. Uh, I had completely forgotten that he's in the Limp Bizkit Eat You Alive music video. So oh you've got to check that out. You don't remember. Uh, Brittany Daniel is in it, who I think for people that listen to this podcast is probably best known as her role as Carmen and It's Always Sunny. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Jordan Ladd, who's in uh, Waiting, a movie I love. Cabin Fever, a movie I love. Death Proof is probably what people know her for. But yeah, this movie is fucking hilarious. I love it. I could watch it endlessly. Uh, basically, the plot is that Bill Paxton plays like a um, uh, sort of a Jimmy Buffett clone, and he's well beyond his years in terms of his musical career. And he has this this venture where he has like a party island that people come to uh, and just get fucked up. And on the party island is a killer. Uh, so the cat, like the all the staff of the islands being killed off kind of one by one. Uh, and it's, it's just fucking incredible. That's all I can say. I just, I'm going to back you up this. And no, so few people know this movie. It's like, I'm blessed to know it because of the fact that Mike was such a big fan of it and made me watch it. And then I was like, Holy shit. And I would agree that it, it might be, I, I don't know, I'd have to go back and watch all the Broken Lizard films, but I, it might be my favorite as well. I do love Beer Fest. I'm not as big on Super Troopers as other people, but it's this or Beer Fest for me. So it's, it's really good. 
this is not one of those movies it's like where it's so bad it's good this is actually just an underrated film that does what it's trying to do really well and it takes it honestly takes like okay at this point i'm well beyond that but it took me like i don't know three or four watches to really catch like all the little lines all the little like nuances that they're throwing in there like it's it's really dense uh with like the jokes that are there for you to kind of uncover it's so clever dude great 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 pick which leads me to your number one here we go people this next film it's one of my favorite films it is criminally criminally underrated and it appears on so many top 10 worst films of the 2010s lists that it it hurts my heart because it's just so incorrect my number one is the Adam Sandler comedy, That's My Boy. Okay, I'm so glad I didn't. I knew you were going to pick this, so I didn't include it in any of my lists. Amazing. Please go ahead. So 20% tomato meter from the critics. 51% audience. Not the worst, but again, you pretty much with the audience have to hit at least a 60 to be considered any any type of turning around to the critics in my opinion this movie i'm i mean i was just speechless for a moment that's how much i love it it is unbelievable so give a little background so it came out in 2012 for sandler it's a bit raunchier than his typical fare you know he did a lot of like pg-13 you know all the classics, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Waterboy. This one, this is like a hard R. And it's it's Sandler, it's Andy Samberg. You've got a you've got a pretty big cast. You've got Leighton Meester from Gossip Girl. Actually, calling back to one of Mike's earlier films, you have Milo. Milo. Yeah. You have Milo. How do you say his last name? Benjamin. Yeah. You've got you've got him. You've got Will Forte. Great, great role. So uh, my favorite role of his. Incredible. <laughs> you've got Will Forte. You've got you've got um you've got James Kahn. And oh yeah. You obviously have some of the classic Sandler actors like Nick Swardson, Peter Dante. And then you have some epic cameos from Rex Ryan playing a guy working in Boston Boston that like worships Bill Belichick, which is just hilarious. He, Rex Ryan yeah. was the, you know, head coach of the Jets. And the best, most ridiculous addition of this cast is Sandler's Sandler's character in the movie, his best friend from childhood is Vanilla Ice. Except it literally is Vanilla Ice playing Vanilla Ice. Before, before you say anything else, I have to add right here so that people can wonder. My number one also features Vanilla Ice. Oh go, 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 go. How is that possible? Continue. It's amazing. Go. Oh, continue. my God. Okay. So that's the cast. 
couple just things right out of the right out of the gate that should make you sort of turn your head and be like, what? How how is this movie you know potentially so bad? It was written by David Caspe, who and I hope that I didn't butcher his last name, but he's the creator and writer of Happy Endings. If you guys were into that TV show, such an underrated TV show, absolutely hysterical. Um, was canceled after a few seasons. We'll be doing a deep dive on that one day. But he wrote this movie. It was directed by by Sean Anders, who also directed quite an underrated gem, Sex Drive, um, and some other films, Horrible Bosses too, Daddy's Home. The writing is more the strong point here. But, oh man, I will never forget going into this movie. I'd seen the trailer. It, it looked it looks stupid from the trailer. I'm not even going to act like it doesn't. It does. A couple buddies had been like, no, man. It actually is really funny. And what happened next was me watching a film that now I've probably watched 20 to 30 times. It is so funny. I, I One, I'm going to say without question, it's the funniest movie of the 2010s, in my opinion. Nonstop laughter. Sandler just does a classic, classic like Sandler sort of ridiculous accent through the movie. And I know in the trailer it might come off as stupid. It's this like Boston accent. But it is part of what is so hilarious about the movie is him doing this this Boston guy, Donnie Berger, and just talking in this outrageous accent with this ridiculous like <laughs> laugh. It just, it's too much. But anyway, to give you guys a brief, brief synopsis, the movie is about Adam Sandler. He's Donnie, Donnie Berger, and pretty much in his teens, he sleeps with one of his teachers, gets her pregnant, and he has a son who he names Han Solo Berger. Anyways, he raised him as a single parent because the teacher went to prison until Han Solo was 18, and then he moved away. Changed his name to Todd. He doesn't he doesn't speak to Donnie anymore. Cut to the beginning of this movie. Donnie's about to go to jail unless he comes up with a lot of money over the course of one weekend. And so he thinks Donnie, for some background, became pretty much a celebrity with everything that happened after he was sleeping with his teacher. It became like a nationwide scandal. So he goes to a TV guy and says, hey, you know, what if we do a special where I visit, you know, the teacher in jail all these years later? He says, hey. I'll pay you a ton of money, but only if you bring your son with you. So Donnie goes and resurfaces in Todd's life just before he's about to get married to Leighton Meester. Um, And the result is just hilarious. And not only is it hilarious, this movie actually is quite heartfelt for being such a silly comedy. And it's, I, I do not understand the hate. I really don't. I know that Sandler has never been a critical darling. 
But that's been the thing with Sandler is all his films in the 90s, the people loved. People talk about Billy Madison. People talk about Happy Gilmore. People talk about Waterboy, Big Daddy, Mr. Deeds. So many people love those movies despite not having the best critic reviews. This movie, though, it's almost like it, it came too late or something, but it's it's just in the vein of all those films. And so, so funny. It's it's laugh out loud from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. Again, there's some incredible cameos. I cannot stress how funny Vanilla Ice playing Vanilla Ice is. And when the classic Sandler characters do show up, it's it's absolutely legendary. And again, it's it's a Sandler film with some with some true heart in it as well. Him and him and Sandberg have a great chemistry. And at the end of the day, this is probably the one film on my top five that I would say is actually a good movie. It's not just a bad movie that I like. It is a very well done, raunchy comedy. And everyone should see it. And I'm I'm ashamed to say that I I bought into the critics' reviews. I did not see this movie until like three months ago when you and your brother told me I should see oh it. God. So pleasantly surprised. Everything you've said is 100% true. This is a great movie. It's It should be up there with the classic Sandler comedies. It, it's amazing. I was totally blown away. Part of me feels like because like not part of me is even like because this got such a bad reception, which all his movies now do. Sandler just went back to creating the totally generic dumb stuff that he's been churning out now for the last five years or so. And I wish that this got some notoriety so that he could have made a few more like this because this is gold. Well, I'm glad you're blowing it up because it really deserves it. Well, I hope that this does. I hope at the very least this gets a few new viewers over to that movie. So that's my boy. That's my number one. Mike, I'm so intrigued. My number one, my number one movie from 2002 called The New Guy. Wow. Do you remember this movie? Of course. DJ Qualls. Okay. DJ Qualls. So now the audience score for this is 54%. So a little bit higher than some of my other ones. Mm -hmm. But tomato meter, 7%. Wow. And anecdotally, for example, my roommate that we talked about being in and showing Club Dread all the time hated this film. My wife hates this film. And I've never really met anybody that likes it. But I've always loved this film. And here's the case. <laughs> Firstly, though not huge, there's an underrated cast. So directed by Ed Dechter, who did the screenplay for There's Something About Mary. Wow. Okay. Written, written by David Kendall, who's really best known as being like uh, the EP for Growing Pains, Boy Meets World, Melissa and Joey. So he's like a sitcom guy. We've got DJ Qualls, who's... Busier than people realize, I would say, but not famous. I think, I don't know. He's in that one episode of Breaking Bad, but like 
maybe Man in the High Castle is what people know him from. I mean, he's really not that famous of an actor. Mm-hmm. Eliza Dushku, much more famous. Shout out, bring it on. Zoe Deschanel, in the very early days, uber famous now. I forgot about that. And I would say the last main character really is Eddie Griffin, who is probably best known as a stand-up, right? But is also an undercover brother, potentially an underrated film. Big shout to undercover brother. (laughs) And Deuce Bigelow. (laughs) Yes, just some coming-of-age films if you grew up when we did. So anyway, cast not bad, but it's not huge. So, okay, fine. Then we get to the soundtrack. I'm just a kid. Simple plan. So Fresh, So Clean, Outcast. High Low, JT Money. Uh, Let It Whip, SR71. Dude, Phil Collins, In the Air Tonight. (laughs) Click, click, boom. No. Girl All the Bad Guys Want, Bowling for Soup. And then there's a bunch of like funk songs which are also great but all of those bangers that is a classic songs from the time unreal soundtrack this is like you could like open this up in a hundred years as a time capsule of what music was like in 2002 and this was <laughs> it. incredible now the cameos in this film and these are all real cameos like proper like just appear for a second kind of things horatio sands of Saturday Night Live Hall of Fame. Henry Rollins, who's now like much more well-known, but really I think back then was, I guess, just known for being in Black Flag. Gene Simmons from Kiss, obviously. Tommy Lee, obviously from Molly Crew. Tony Hawk. Oh cool Moe D. Jermaine Dupri. Charlie and Jerry O'Connell. Big shout-out to the O'Connell boys. And Scream 2. And big one for me, Josh Todd, lead singer of Buck Jerry. <laughs> And I would say lastly about this film is the message. Gets me every fucking time. So really the, the point of this movie, DJ Qualls is you know picked on all the time at school, having a hard time in high school, which I mean, who doesn't? But if you look at DJ Qualls, you'd be like, that guy had a hard time in high school. So has to reinvent himself at another school, becomes like the most popular kid in school, instills a culture of... I might say ELE for people that have seen semi-pro, everyone love everyone, but it like transforms this high school into like the utopian idea of high school where no one's bullying anybody. Everybody gets along. It's going fantastic. Eventually it comes out, you know, they find out about his past, but even when they find out about his past, we realize, Hey, let's not, you know, everyone should be who they are. We should love everyone. Let's not care what people did. Let's just be nice to each other. He still gets the girl who's like 10 levels out of his league. I don't really know what you want to say. He has no <laughs> business getting this girl. But he still does. He gets back with his old friends. Everyone's happy. The world is fixed. I mean, what what is what else is there? This is a great film. Shut up, people that hate this film. Shut up. You have no soul. I saw this film in theaters. Me too. It. And you know what's the the number one thing I think about when I think about this film is I'm just a kid. Simple plan. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, it made me love Simple Plan. So funny. Um, yeah, for real. Wait, so was Vanilla Ice like an actual character? Was he one oh, of the shit, cameos? Dude, I forgot to, I'm sorry, I forgot to listen. I thought, to I thought that was going to be last but not I'm least. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, he is a uh, he is a, like a security guard at like a Sam Goody or like an Fye. I don't know what in 2002, but like it's a yeah, like a, some CD store. Can I just say that the the cameo list you dropped was so outrageous? I I, I was mind blown honestly because I don't think I've seen it since theaters. Dude, and so I've seen it so many times and literally, I don't know if it was like last Sunday or two Sundays ago, but whenever, like after we were done recording, I texted you because I went to go like go to sleep and I thought, oh, let me put on the TV. I'll just like watch for 20 minutes, go to bed or whatever. Literally starting right then was the new guy and it was the only film I had thought of for this list and I watched the entire thing could not go to bed i was like i still love this movie i don't know if it's a great movie but you could clearly see based on the cameos and the soundtrack they've done everything they can to make you like this film and if anything with the smallest amount of money possible <laughs> if anything your passion for it should lead people to go watch it honestly it's just such a good message i i, I would almost compare it to Another movie that I thought was going to go on this list, but it turns out people actually already like, which I'm happy to, Accepted with Justin Long. Oh, yeah. The movie just gets me every time. He just revolutionizes college and everybody loves each other. I mean, what can you say? I'm a softie. Um, hey, I'm backing you on New Guy. I do have to say I need to see it again. But I remember, I very much remember my reaction when I saw it initially, which was that I liked it. And... I don't think I had as strong a reaction as Mike, but I absolutely liked it. And I second I second everything you've said. I mean, the cameo list alone, how can you not be intrigued? I want to go watch it right now. Tony Hawk is so good in it too. Amazing. Oh my God. Wow. I can't, I'm, I love your list. I feel like I've defended my list. Very happy with, with how that turned out. Yeah, I think I I love your list. I love both our lists. Great top fives. Let us know if you just completely hate our top fives, if you love our top fives. Please. But I know that in in coming up with these lists, before we take things over to the opposite side, especially on this one, on films we love that are universally hated, we had so many that we thought of and we, we narrowed it down to our favorites that we felt fit the bill best. But I know that there were, there were definitely a handful that we realized aren't quite hated, but we still passionately love these movies that maybe have not gotten their due. And so we thought, fuck it, let's make a little bonus top five for this top five. And let's shout those those movies out. So just underrated films that aren't quite hated, but that we each love and want to mention. So before we do that, Mike, is there is there any other films in the in the universe that you feel like maybe are have not gotten the love they deserve that you want to shout out? So one that I think you and I both discovered that we refused to put on this list because there's some fuckery going on here. I refuse to believe this. It's Dude, Where's My Car? Oh, my God, yeah. Now, 
I understand why it's a 17% tomato meter because we learned that critics have no soul. <laughs> but the audience score of 47% boggles my fucking mind. Dude Wars My Car, I have gone back during the pandemic and watched it. Confirmed it 100% holds up. And if you were alive and you were anywhere near our age and you saw this movie when it came out, absolutely hilarious. So many people are still quoting this movie to this day. If you go up to somebody and you say, and then, and they don't say, and then, back at you, I don't know who they are. Get them out of here. Get them and out of here. Your, your tattoos say, dude, your tattoos say, sweet. <laughs> I mean, what is wrong with you people? What's wrong with you? 47%? If you don't, who are you? If you don't know where the continuum transfunctioner is, why are we even here? Zoltan. <sighs> Zoltan. Actually, it's so funny that you say that because my wife works with somebody whose name is Zoltan. Oh. And every single time to this day in 2020, she says this person's name. I just go Zoltan and throw up the Z. <laughs> throw up the Z. I can't stop it. I truly was shocked when I saw those scores. I still don't believe it because like you said, growing up, that was one of those movies everyone loved. Like at least of our generation, everyone loves that movie. It was the very, very first, very first DVD I ever bought. Came with a bonus CD that had the Sprung Monkey song on it. Yes. yes. Oh my God, dude. And, and yeah, this was like one of the best stupid comedies of the era. And that's why critics hated it. But like, I thought everybody thought it was great. Yeah. And Jennifer Garner's in it, right? Yeah. That is so hilarious. Oh my God. It's just. Yeah, there was no way we could include this in our actual list because it's it's not hated. It's not universally hated. But we were just surprised nope. by those scores. Now, there's another movie that I, I looked up and I thought, oh, perfect candidate for the list. 17% tomato meter, 28% audience. I was like, yes, this is such a good one. I, I cannot wait to put this on here because I love this film. And that film is Wild Wild West with Will Smith. <laughs> oh my God. So the other night, I was like, oh yeah, let me throw this baby on. This is not a good film. <laughs> young, young me was completely wrong. I had the fucking soundtrack. I mean, I had all the Will Smith CDs, CDs leading up to this too. But it is just the wrong mix of Western and steampunk and creepy. It is not good. Do not go watch this film. It will ruin your childhood. It's not on this list because it's bad. I agree with you 28% people. It's awful. Though big shout out to Sama Hayek. But it's terrible. Don't watch this. I'm I'm never going to watch it again now. You know, it has some like funny lines, but like it does not make up for how bad the film is. I cannot say how disappointed I was. I, I, I almost went into it. I'll even admit. I went into it not even going to be impartial. I was like, I'm going to be biased towards this being awesome because I know I loved it when I was a kid. And even going in with those biases, it was horrific. Oh, my God. People so, steer clear. I had, to report that. I had to report that. You have you have any other shout outs before we go into uh, the top five itself or the underrated? No, I don't. But I will say... I'll go first with underrated because my number well, five. Wait, wait, is wait, go. wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. I still, I still have a couple of shout outs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. This guy doesn't even let me shout out people. 
Sorry, just sorry. dives right into the list. I was so I so wanted to tell you about my love for Anaconda. <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost there. I'll give three really quick shout outs. Really quick shout outs. Three movies I just left off this this little bonus list. Sex Drive, which I had mentioned earlier. Just a super underrated comedy that I think of again, Mike and I had seen but no one really saw this movie when it came out. 45% Rotten Tomatoes, 58% audience. Just a just a a raunchy comedy of the later 2000s that did not get the acclaim or the audience that I think it deserved. And then a couple other quick quick shout-outs. Entourage movie. 33% tomato meter, 57 audience. If you liked the show Entourage and you saw this movie, every single person I know that loved the show that saw this movie thought this was like the greatest ending to the show of all time. They butchered the finale of the actual show, the season eight, I think it was finale. This was redemption in every way. They, they cut out the dumb ending essentially that they had written for the show and just everything you ever could have wished would have happened, happened. Everything. Like, they thought of everything. It was just unbelievable. Again, I could see how maybe a critic that isn't into the show would not like it. But I was shocked even to see the audience score there. It's like the audience score, the only people that should be watching it, I'd think, are fans of the show. And if you're a fan of the show, I don't understand how you don't like the movie. So I needed to give a shout-out there. And then I need to give a shout out to our boy Taylor Kitsch, John Carter, the Disney film that no one ever saw. Oh my God. 52% tomato meter, 60% audience, not the worst ever. So underrated, in my opinion. So underrated. It's it's like another I mean, I'm not trying to compare to Star Wars. That would be ridiculous. But I'm just saying it's in the vein of that type of film. And I think it's such a fun adventure film, like sci-fi adventure. Go check out John Carter if you've never seen it. Terrible marketing by Disney. Should have been a bigger hit, in my opinion. Well, honestly, the biggest problem with John Carter, and I was looking this up very recently, is that the budget was $250 million. Yeah, that was really stupid of them to green light. So it, it made $300 million at the box office. Which is to say, not very much because they spent two hundred and fifty. But I'm just glad that someone thought it was a good idea to go that deep into Taylor Kitsch, trying to make that work. Uh, it was right around the same time as uh, Battleship too, yeah, which also had a huge, huge budget. Yeah, and also did not do Shout too out well. Shout Rihanna and Brooklyn. <laughs> so you want to start with the top five now? You want to you want to get into it and yeah. Sorry. So my number five is Anaconda. So Amazing. unfortunately, uh, well, not unfortunately, but we had the same. Same idea there. 24% was the audience score again. Criminally underrated. At least this movie should be 50%. Agreed. I mean, is there another role by Ice Cube or J-Lo that you enjoy more than this one? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, No, not throughout an entire film. No. Definitely not. Yeah. It's like, come on. How do they? It's it's criminal, especially that the audience is lower than the critic. That's just like a slap in the face. Yeah. 
I have I have one like that in my list, and it makes me sad. Wow, I can't wait. So my number five is the beach. Leonardo oh, DiCaprio. Okay. Yeah. Twenty percent tomato meter, fifty-seven percent audience. Some would argue that could have gone on the real list, but this movie wasn't hated. I mean, I know plenty of people that like this movie. I just think in the grand scheme of Leo's career, who's my favorite actor ever. I, I have a my brother and I have a bit of an obsession with him. There's definitely gonna be a deep dive into Leo at some point. But Oh, we're gonna talk more about him today. Oh, I can't wait. Um, I just think this is a really underrated Leo movie. Danny Boyle directed it. Who's one of my favorite directors. Again, it's an underrated film for him. You know, he did 28 days later. He did slumdog millionaire. He did 127 hours. Um, but it's just, I think it's underrated, you know, across the board. So the beach, great movie happens to also be one of my favorite books. It was adapted from a book. Alex Garland, amazing writer, who him and Boyle teamed up a few times. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Sunshine, my favorite Danny Boyle film. But that's, uh, bottom line, getting off track, The Beach, number five. Check it out if you haven't seen it before. My number four is a film called Wolf Creek. Have you ever seen this? I have. The Australian horror movie? Yes. Yeah. 53% tomato, 49 audience. It is very, very loosely based on a real serial killer who would like cut people's spinal cords so that they would be paralyzed and then he would like torture and murder them, which is an absolutely horrifying concept. This movie is scary. Well, well underrated, right around 50%. This should be up there, sort of low seventies for me. I think very that's, underrated. I think that's a very, very. Uh, I back that up. I back that up. All right, my number four. Out cold. Out cold. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this was like, just like an. Amazing comedy from, I want to say it was like early 2000s, but uh, it was just so good, so underrated. Like there were people that saw it. It was 2001. There definitely were people that saw it, especially like our generation, but it mostly went unseen. Essentially, it was like, it takes place in this little like ski mountain town. And it's Zach Galifianakis's, maybe, maybe one of his first movies ever. But as a, it has a great little cast. No one like crazy big. It's led by Jason London. But the two things that I remember the most about it is one, Zach Galifianakis gets his dick stuck in the jet in a hot tub. And the whole movie revolves around the song Island in the Sun by Weezer. Like it's literally a I part think- of the plot. I think I just saw this for the first time recently as well. I can't remember, like, but in the last two years and completely back it up. And it's one, I just looked it up now. It's one that has a very, well, I'm sure you have it, but the tomato scores are off the charts. Oh, this is, it's insane. The diff, this is the biggest gap I think we will have 
at all yeah, on this. For sure. 8% on the tomato meter. 84% audience. It's a 76% gap between those two. One, it shows you that pretty much everyone that's seen it likes it. But I'll say, as I'm sure a lot of you listeners are going to agree with, there's probably a good handful of you that don't even know what this movie is. So go watch it. It's awesome. I mean, it revolves around trying to save a mountain from a big corporation in a mountain town and a bunch of ski bums that love drinking. Sounds great. It is. Okay. My number three, I didn't originally think about it for this list, but then when we had these kind of extra underrated, I decided to take a look and I'm glad I did because my number three is once upon a time in Hollywood. Whoa. And I brought it up here because the audience score is 70%. And for me, I'm curious to see what you think. That is horribly low. I loved this movie so much. I've seen it, I think, three times now. And the people that don't like it because it's too slow or whatever the criticisms are, I have no idea where you're coming from. This movie, for me, is... If you want to look at, you know, the cinematography, the direction, obviously the acting, I love the pace of the movie. Almost everything about this is a masterpiece to me. I love this film. I don't know if it's my favorite Tarantino film. I'd have to really go deep to think about that, but it's definitely up there. And 70% from the audience is not close to where it should be. What's the critic score? What's the tomato meter? It's got to be high. 85. Okay. 85. Okay. So I have a friend that passionately loves this just as much as you, but here's my take. I really like this movie. Tarant I mean Tarantino is probably my favorite director. Um and then Leo of course favorite actor. I mean Leo and Brad Pitt together it's unbelievable. I love the movie. I do agree 70s too low. I'd probably put it around an 80 personally. I Wow, okay. I loved it. But it was not one of my favorite Tarantino. This is for sure for me, this is one of like in terms of new movies, obviously like oh, you'll go back and watch whatever, but in terms of new movies, one of the best I've seen in probably 5 years for me. I'd have to go and look back. I'd have to go and look back. I I will say I went in with the most sky high of expectations given just the 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 team that came together on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I don't understand anyone that felt like you know the movie was slow or anything. That I don't understand at all. I thought it was I could have watched it for another 3 hours. It, Agreed. It it's so fun. I mean, it's so fun watching these characters. Brad Pitt absolutely kills it and steals the show. And I mean, Leo does an unbelievable job too. It's the 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 where it all goes and sort of the grand finale, which won't spoil for anyone that hasn't seen it. But it just the ending is great, and 
It's a great movie. It, it really is. And, and I've watched it a couple times, as, or at least two, maybe three times. It's a great film. And, and maybe me saying 80 is honestly even unfair just because I'm personally just ranking it within Tarantino's films. And I think he's yeah. of the highest quality. It, it, it's an absolutely amazing film. And, and the year, it came out this past year. Yeah, 2019. I mean, it was in the, it was definitely in my like three probably three favorite films of the year so yeah so i wanted to mention it here because it's you know it was a bit controversial some people really reacted negatively to it some people really reacted positively and i was definitely in the positive category i think thinking about it it's so it's either my second or third favorite tarantino movie okay i love it that's i mean that's a future deep saving for a future podcast so my number three on the underrated list is Speed Racer. Well, you already know that I love Speed Racer because of the star of the film. I mean, come on. I'm... And I won't say she's a star, but we'll go star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, did I did I know that you love that I love that you love that person that much? I don't know. I'm like only in the beginning of this. Podcast. Oh yes! Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm so dumb. I wasn't even thinking. I was like, okay. I was like trying to think. I was like, wait, who? And I was like, oh my god! Okay, Christina Ricci, of course. Um, of course, you love Speed Racer. So two th- came out in 2008. If you guys didn't see it, it was directed by the Wachowskis, who did the Matrix films, and Emil Hirsch, Matthew Fox, who I'm obsessed with because my favorite thing ever is Lost. Christina Ricci. And we love Emil Hirsch. We love Emil Hirsch. We love him. Like, talk about a guy that I think is underrated. And that also was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's right. And great in it. You know who also is in Speed Racer? Scott Porter from Friday Night Lights Street. That's that's right. Um, and also John Goodman. And Susan Sarandon. What a cast. What a cast. I mean... It, Again, this is one of those movies. It sort of bombed to an extent at the box office. Don't understand it at all. Really inventive way, like really inventive visually and sort of how they how they do the movie. Really like cool sort of sci-fi adventure film. And I really liked the pacing, the tone. All the acting was good just a fun story a fun like it was a really well-rounded what should have been a blockbuster and i'm really sad that it didn't take off or do well i've always been sad about this one yeah i saw it in theaters liked it a lot uh and i think if i had to describe this movie now it would say it's forgotten like i don't know that people even remember it totally you know which is a shame yeah like you said i mean how this slips through with the pedigree of the matrix. I have no idea. I no idea. What's your number two? My number two is 27 dresses. Wow. Oh my God. 40%, 40%, 57% is the audience score. So it doesn't quite qualify, but if I was going to rate this movie, like, seriously i'd probably have it somewhere around like a 75 and in the realm of romantic comedies alone as high as you could get a plus 
this I, I'm not like a guy that comes out here like all the time for rom coms, but like this is everything I want in one. Dude, it's fucking. It's I fucking I feel like incredible, I feel bro. like I'm a fraud right now because I fucking love rom coms and I've never seen it. What? I've heard of it, of course. I that I honestly might watch it tonight. I'm sure Alex would love to, my girlfriend. I'm sure my girlfriend Alex would love to watch that. I know she's seen it. And it is from the rare Catherine Heigl age because she's disappeared off the face of the earth, really. But oh my god, dude! Wow, you have to watch this movie. I'm, it's so I'm good. going to. I, I don't even want to say anything. No, you haven't seen it. I don't even want to say anything. Oh okay, okay, everyone. Nobody spoil it for Justin. <laughs> it's so good. If you come back and I like wake up to a text that you hated this movie, I'm gonna be. So, I'm gonna be more sad than when my wife said that Tahitian Blue by John Butler Tree was garbage. <laughs> Which is causing a rift in our relationship oh right now. God. I can't lose you too, bro. Oh, I know. I want this podcast to keep going. I don't want this to just suddenly end if I dislike this I'm movie. I'm seriously done. I'm not going to say anything else. Okay, it. that's it. I'm going to watch I it. it for I'll give everyone my report in a future episode. Okay. My number two. Leading right from Speed Racer to this is the matrix revolutions wait that's the third that's one, the right? third one okay 35 percent tomato meter 60 percent audience oh wow you know if you if you were an adult or growing up to you know a teenager at least during like the matrix being the biggest thing you remember that the sequels weren't so well received and I'd say the second one was like a little bit of a letdown to people. And then a lot of people did not like the third one, which I thought was crazy. I'll never, I saw it opening night. I still think cool theater experience for me. I did the same. You did the same. And I think, I, I don't know. I thought like, I remember it being really fun with all the people that were there. Yeah. And I, I've seen this movie a lot of times now. I own this movie. I think it is such a good ending to the trilogy. I, I think the trilogy gets way more hate than it deserves. The, the first one is the best. I mean, it's it's a fucking... The first one is one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, but this is such a great ending. I, I can't say enough good about it. I mean, the final fight with with Agent Smith is incredible, super epic, super in line with sort of what the matrix goes for. I just don't understand how people could have complained with this ending to the story. I just, they tied up all the, all the, all the loose threads. They finished all the character arcs. I thought it was great. I don't know what all the complaining's about. I like that it has at least a 60% audience, but 35% tomato meter. I mean, that drives me nuts. This to me, this is like a solid 80. Like, and I know, yeah, I know I, that trilogy enders are always divisive, but come on. My two cents. So I've done a rewatch of the three, probably within the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And I don't really like sci-fi movies in general. Um, but I think one, as you said, people, well, people don't give enough credit to how hard it is to actually close a trilogy. Uh, so, doing even if it was a decent job i think should be given more credit not to say this is only like just decent i think it's better than that but it is not an easy thing to do 
see Godfather Part Three. <laughs> <laughs> Point two, I just think with the sequels, the first one is so fucking good and so iconic that there was no chance people would be happy. The second one, Reloaded, has like so many fucking iconic action scenes and they're all incredible. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why people didn't just love it. I don't know what they were looking for. It's incredible. It's like it's like exactly what a middle film is. Like not too much happens with the plot, but there's just a shitload of epic like action scenes. I mean, at the end of the day, the plot of the first one's great and like it's it's only becoming sort of more relevant to this day. Like prescient maybe would be the word. Mm-hmm. But you know, the stuff that people loved about the first one the most, all the crazy shit that Keanu and Trinity did, they just took it to the next level in the second one. And it was great. And then they had to close it out. And this is a good movie too. I mean, I don't know what anybody else wants. Me either. Great trilogy. I don't understand why it gets some hate on the, on the, on the, you know, two and three, especially three if though. You, if you look at the excitement for what's happening in the future with the matrix, I think people are starting to, I think people realize it's better to have these movies than not. Let's say. I think so. They're warming up to it. Can't wait for Matrix 4. So my number one, I just want to tell you the scores first. 81% tomato meter. Oh. But 34% audience. The only movie we have that's anywhere close to a split in that direction. Whoa. Huge split. This movie is Willow Creek. Wow. Do you know this movie? I do know this movie. So for people that don't know, this is essentially Blair Witch, except instead of Blair Witch, it's a Bigfoot. And it sounds ridiculous. And Bobcat Goldthwait, who's made the movie, is ridiculous, and he loves Bigfoot, and he's, like, deep in. And I don't want to say that I'm deep in, but I'll speak for myself, and I'll let you confirm. But I love all of this shit. Bigfoot, aliens, ghosts. I don't necessarily believe all of it, but I fucking love all of it. And I know you at least love aliens and true crime and all this stuff as well. It is a fucking solid representation of a Bigfoot scary movie. I fully it's, agree. It's 34% is nowhere near where it should be. Not that it necessarily should be at 81 either, but I was very shocked. And the difference between the critics and the audience is just mind-blowing. It's also mind-blowing that critics like the film because they typically don't go for the found footage stuff. Yeah, And in this case, they do, which, again, the whole... Wow, the whole that whole thing is really confusing to me how the critics were the ones that really liked this and the audience hated it. Because yeah, it's, it's I mean, I'm also into all that stuff and I I mean, Bigfoot's real. It's come on, let's be real, cuz. But uh we all know it is. But yeah, this is probably the best representation that's been put to film. Yes. Like that's uh, and, and, it's, and it gets legitimately scary. Like forget about like whether you believe in Bigfoot or not. Like, it's legitimately scary for the last 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, the last, like, 10 minutes is pretty epic, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so tell me your number one, and then while you discuss it, I'm going to pee really quick. All right, that sounds good. So my number one, 42% on the tomato meter, 
72% audience. So it's not hated, which is why I didn't put it in my main list. But this list is in my top 10 films of all time. Dun, dun, dun. Vanilla Sky. Oh, man. Okay, I have to go pee. I'm coming back to talk about it. <laughs> so Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz. Pretty stacked cast. That's like the main three. But we've also got Kurt Russell, Jason Lee. We've got Tilda Swinton, Michael Shannon. We even got even got Johnny Galecki in there. But it is it's one of the most underrated films ever, in my opinion. It's so different than anything Tom Cruise has done. I think he puts in an, a great, great performance. I mean, I always think he gives it his all in, in movies, but this is really something different for him. And, and this film, it's it's deep. It's, so it was directed by Cameron Crowe, um, who obviously did some other iconic films, Almost Famous, um, Jerry Maguire, Say Anything. He did some good stuff. He's also done some not good stuff later on. But Vanilla Sky just... Oh, I just love it so much. It There's not many movies in life that truly afterwards have a profound effect on me. And this is one that did. I, I'll never, ever forget seeing it for the first time. And the plot is a little bit confusing. But to give you sort of a very brief background... Tom Cruise, I mean, it's like, it's honestly hard to give a proper background of this movie. I'd say Tom Cruise plays this guy named David Ames. He's really rich. He's not like the best guy. And he's sort of in a interesting we'll say relationship type thing with Cameron Diaz, who's a little bit, a little bit crazy. And, uh, she ends up like driving a car. They get into a car accident. She like drives a car like off of a, she's, she's pretty much, she's pissed off and they get in a big accident and the whole movie leads to this, like, his whole, this is, I'm struggling, Mike, if you're there, to describe this. But essentially, his his whole face gets disfigured from this accident. And as the movie progresses, David, Tom Cruise, is not quite sure, like, what is real and what's not real. Because there's this, like, budding technology it's like this lucid dreaming thing where we're not really sure 
if he is like in the lucid dream or not. And it gets very like sort of trippy, but it's, it's without ruining much about the film, it gets really, really deep into what it means to be human, what it would be like being alive when no one else that you've ever known is still alive. And I don't know, it touches on some very deep things about the human condition. And I'll never forget that just after watching and sorry for my ramble, everyone, it's tried to form some thoughts about that, but it's, it's a very hard movie to discuss if you haven't seen it without just spoiling everything. It's just one of those movies that afterwards I could not stop thinking about it for days. I almost felt like depressed inside for a couple days, which may not, may not influence you to see it. You're like, I don't want to feel depressed, but I encourage you to because it's it's a movie that makes you feel and feel deeply and and think about so many big questions in life. And I I just don't understand how it's not much more universally talked about. I it's just it's unbelievable on every level. Yeah, so this movie, it's funny. I was actually just looking it up recently because I have Kurt Russell somewhere in my list, but I remember kind of watching it when I was younger and it being exactly what you're saying, like sort of making you think for a while and it being like something that I think is part of my journey into liking films. Like, okay, this is something that's, it's creative, it's serious. Like I'm getting into the art, figuring out like what this is all about. And this is important for me to kind of think about and try to understand Mm-hmm. I don't know that I love it. I like the cast a lot, but I, I don't know if I love the movie and I maybe it slightly misses, but I'm just now looking up the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and that I don't get. Yeah. And on IMDb, is a, it's a 7, 6.9, which is closer to the truth. Yeah. And it's like, again, that's why I, I couldn't by any means put it on the actual list, but I just think it's underrated. It's, it's a, it's a film that makes you feel and makes you think it's one of Tom Cruise's better performances where I feel like he has to do something different from the norm. And it's just a great film. So I encourage you to check it out if you've never seen it. Wow. So I think that's it. That's movies. We love that apparently nobody else does along with, I think we ended up with five honorable mentions apiece. So that's good. Yeah. Now it's time for the other Which side br- of the spectrum. Brings us to the second half movies. Everybody loves that. We're eh, I'd say some of these we hate some of them. We just don't like, and maybe we can explain our reasoning for that. Um, anything to add before we jump in? No, I say we just jump into this. Okay, my number five. Basketball. Wow, what? Now, now. This is going to be the spiciest list. I love it. Basketball? Did you just say basketball? 
I said basketball, that basketball. You're and I rewatched it. I rewatched it like three days ago to confirm my feel. Oh my way. god! So, uh, quick, the ratings forty three percent by the critics, seventy four percent by people, and I seven that seventy four is shocking to me because your reaction, I would assume, like like dude wears my car. I don't believe this seventy four. Everybody that I've ever met loves this movie, and. Well, okay, if you don't know, this is uh, a movie not written by, but starring uh, Dre and Matt from South Park. And obviously, I love South Park. I love Team America. Love South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. I think South Park's probably the most important show that's been on the air for the last 20 years. The guys are geniuses. And that's why people love this movie. I think that's fair to say. I'll also say that audience score of 74 for this movie, audience score for Team America is 80. And for me, these movies aren't even close. Team America is light years better. Basketball's so good. Now, act one of basketball is good. <laughs> the, the, the setup is creative. It's funny. And you're like, okay, I'm into this movie. But it completely loses me from there. It's basically so what I wrote literally watching it like three days ago was like from there, it's just like a handful of like kind of silly gags that are like, yeah, all right, they make you chuckle a few times, but are like nowhere near laugh out loud and are nowhere near the creative work that they're able to pull off in all those other things that I mentioned. And to think about where Team America goes and where this movie goes, it's not close. And and maybe maybe you like both of them for different reasons, but why I like Team America is why I don't like basketball, in a sense. Digging deeper into the film, I didn't know this somehow, maybe because I don't actually like the movie. Basically, the people behind this movie it makes perfect sense of what I was saying about the gags because like the writer and director. So it's, it's directed by David Zucker and there's a written by a handful of people, but basically it's the team behind airplane, the naked gun movies, uh, top secret, which I actually do like. So like that, that comedic gag style ah, like physical okay. like drop comedy, which I think is a lot seen. There's a few scenes in, in, basketball but a lot of like the the psych outs i think are sort of that type of thing as well and it's just so flat for me and knowing what these guys are capable of if they actually wrote the movie it man it just does not do it for me i don't hate it but having watched it again just a few days ago i don't think i'll ever watch it again it doesn't do it for me okay you know i'll i'll give you this it is not in the same league of Team America or South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Definitely not. Not, not close. But damn, that one. I do, I do love it. I do love it. Um, my number five. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Dude, I wanted to put so many Harry Potter movies on my. Oh my list. god, I don't, I don't like any. No, of them. I, I saw, I think a few of them, and anyway, continue. I've seen all of them. 
I literally only like the very last one, Deathly Hollows Part Two. So any of them could have been on this list. I decided let's go to the go with the OG. But really, this is me just talking shit on all the Harry Potter movies, except Deathly Hollows wow, Part love- Two. So the first one, Sorcerer's Stone, eighty-one percent tomato meter, eighty-two percent audience. Came out in two thousand one. We all know what Harry Potter is, or I hope we do. Um, Directed by Chris Columbus, who directed some legendary, more family-friendly films, Home Alone 1 and 2 and Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, Obviously, I mean, again, if, if I'm sure everyone knows of these films, but the cast, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Tom Felton, Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith. It, it, it goes on and on and on. But all these people, some of them obviously were very famous already outside of Harry Potter fame, like Alan Rickman. The kids all became famous because of these roles. But here's my take on it. The book series is without question, Harry Potter, my favorite book series of all time. I, I mean, I grew up Whoa, really? ever. Yeah. And Oh my god! I didn't know and that. a lot, and most of the other books that I read are not necessarily like this. Are not like fantasy books, whatnot. But I read these growing up. Every single time one of the books came out, just like a lot of people, I'd buy them. That day, I did not stop till I finished. It was like two days I'd finish each book. And dude, remember when that fourth one came out? Though oh, that was a you were like, holy shit, this is this, this is, is long. <laughs> Oh, but so I was sort of I was sort of pumped up when the movies were starting. And I was like, oh, this, this is going to be pretty cool. Like, I hope they do a good job. And, you know, I felt like they never captured the magic that the books did. I never felt like they got it. They all felt a little bit flat for me. A little bit too. I know it's in a sense, again, a family friendly affair. But sometimes it was like a little bit too kiddy for me. Sometimes I just felt like the scenes fell flat. And I, I really felt like they butchered some key scenes in each movie. I mean, they, I, I actually, I just have to shout out the scene that I feel like they butchered the most in the entire series was actually in Six and Half-Blood Prince, where, spoiler alert, when Dumbledore wow. dies, <laughs> like... <laughs> His death was so, it's such a massive part of the book series. And it was so fucking cheesy in the movies. I remember I went in and I was like, don't fuck this up. If you don't fuck this up, I will admit that the movie series is at least like deep, like, you know, pretty good maybe. And they fucking butchered it. It's like this cheesy falling down. It was like, ah, oh, it, it, it made me so angry. The final one's the only one I truly enjoyed. Maybe Deathly Hollows Part 1 was all right, too. But I don't know. They, they, they just all lacked that true charm and sort of the epic scale of the novels for me. And I've never understood why people go nuts over the movies. Just this really is a case of, please, just go read the book. And I love Daniel Radcliffe too. Great actor. Um, have you ever seen a Young Doctor's Notebook? It's like a no a thing he does with John Hamm. It's based on a, like a Bulgakov uh, book. 
anyway, side note, love Daniel Radcliffe. But I will say, despite what I said about being a softy when it comes to the new guy, actually, I am dead inside and I have no imagination. And I, I don't like Harry Potter books. I don't like fantasy things, sci-fi things. I never got it. I, I did read them, like some of them when I was a kid, but I think I was just faking it the whole time. So that's why I don't like them. I just don't like any of it. Well, guys, you're lucky you have me because even though I don't necessarily read a ton of fantasy books, big into sci-fi, big into fantasy when it comes to movies and TV. So you've got me on your side. And that's the right side to be on. You don't want to be on my side. <laughs> I mentioned it now only because it actually is sort of related to something I'll say in about 10 minutes. Ooh, okay. With that in mind, what's your number four? My number four is Zombieland. Wow. So I like, again, I like horror movies. You know, my number two from the last list was a horror movie like parody. So I don't like that I don't like this movie, if that makes any sense. I want to like this movie. It just. So the ratings are 89% tomato meter, 86% critics. And frankly, like everybody I've ever met likes this movie. It was huge when it came out. All my friends liked it. And it just never connected with me. I rewatched it and confirmed it doesn't connect with me at all. It's, it's again, it's another movie where I like the setup. You're like, okay, this is going to be fun. It's going to be like a funny version of like this parody with zombies. We've got, you know, we've got Jesse Eisenberg. It's going to team up with Woody Harrelson. Uh, shout out Semi Pro again. Shout out <laughs> Cursed. So, but, but really, like, f- yeah, from the end of Act One, you're like, oh, I know everything that's going to happen in this movie. Like, and nothing sort of, there is one big surprise with Bill Murray, which is great. I love Bill Murray. But, like, other than that, it's like, not much really happens. It's, it's cute, but, 86%, 89%, and you're approaching a 9 out of 10, which for me is like the best movies that there are. Like, I think there's almost no 10 out of 10 movies for me. Like, this, like, to say that this is that level, I just don't get it. What I really wrote, like, my final, like, ver- like succinct conclusion after watching it again was not as good a zombie parody as Shaun of the Dead. Not a good, not as good a family comedy as Where the Millers. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you've lost your goddamn like mind. I just don't like it. I don't know, man. What am I missing? I mean, for starters, the Bill Murray cameo. I wish the Bill Murray cameo was the entire length of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I like that he's in it and the part where they meet him and Woody Harrelson goes ham is funny. Look, like, I can give it's you... one of the few bright spots for me, honestly. Look, I can give you... Maybe the rating's a little high. But I, I gotta say, I'm with the majority. I, I enjoy the movie. I like it. Let's put it this way. I liked it enough that I wanted to go see the second one, which I did. And the second one was alright. I mean, it was I mean, enjoyable. It wasn't quite as good as the first, but it was good. Shout out to Ruben Fleischer, who's the director, who was also, he directed Venom, but really was the producer on Robin Big. So big ups to that guy. 
RIP big, rest in peace. But like, you lost me there. I mean, it's cute. It's cute. That's all I can it's say cute. about it. It's cute. It's cute. To say that it's approaching nine out of ten, get out yeah, of Yeah, that's there. a little high. That's a little high. I've got my number four was rated exactly a nine out of ten by critics. Ninety percent. Was rated even higher by the audience, ninety one percent. Ooh. The nineteen eighty two sci fi flick Blade Runner. What? Are you kidding? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> There's the one that doesn't even like sci-fi movies. That, wow. Are you out of your mind? Not oh only God, did God. I watch Please it once in the past year, I watched it twice. So, directed by Ridley Scott, the one and only, Alien, Gladiator, Thelma and Louise, Black Hawk Down, the list goes on and on. Harrison Ford. I mean, we all know Harrison Ford's the lead. We've got some other some other people in this. Rucker Hauer, who's Dutch, Dutch like me, he was voted the best Dutch actor back in the day. Um, I'm half Dutch. My mom's Dutch. Then it's got Edward James Olmos, later later to be of Battlestar Galactica fame, a future deep dev, and uh, and a couple others to round out the cast: Sean Young and Daryl Hannah. But Anyway, universally loved movie, as you could tell by Mike's reaction. And I fucking love sci-fi. So, of course, I thought, well, obviously I'm going to love Blade Runner. It's one of the, it's one of the fucking tent poles of the genre. Well, I didn't like Blade Runner. I didn't like Blade, Blade And the first time I watched it, I, I was like, fuck. I was like, is it, am I just not getting something? Like, what, what is not registering with me? And I watched it again, and I just don't like this movie. It's look, I I love Harrison Ford. I love action films. I love sci-fi films. I usually love Ridley Scott films. I just personally, I found, and and to give you a real brief synopsis of the film. At the time, 1982, when they made it, this takes place in the 21st century. It takes place in the future. And there's like this corporation that has these uh, pretty much these like machines that are used as slaves in these colonies outside of Earth. And they're called replicants. So these these machines are called replicants. They look like a human. And this former police officer played by Harrison Ford is pretty much hired to like take down this like fugitive group of replicants that are living in LA. And so, and and so even the plot, it sounds pretty cool. I just found, I find the pacing and the storytelling in this movie so annoying and confusing. Like it, it, a lot of people praise this film because it like explores all these sort of these deep themes within like examining like humanity and whatnot and technology and like its effect on the environment, just like a lot of things about perception, humanity. And it, it's all interesting. It is like, I, I like movies like that usually, but the way that the plot unfolds in this is it's not exciting to me. It's not enjoyable. I feel like it's 
so little happens over the course of the film. And I just, I don't understand it. I, I don't tell me that, tell me what I'm not understanding. Cause I, this is a movie I want to love. I want to love it. I mean, I saw Blade Runner 2049 after I'd of course seen the original. And I enjoyed that one a little bit more. I enjoyed it. It's sort of in a similar vein, but I did like that. And I, again, so I went back, I watched this after that. I've watched this in the past year again. I just don't like it. I think it's, it doesn't do it for me. I, man, I wish I'd seen it more recently, but I would say, I think it's one that helps to put in context of sci-fi movies, you know, like, as you said, it's really sort of a tentpole of the genre. Mm -hmm. So you may have to give it some brownie points for its creativity when it came out that's a good point but i also will by the end of this podcast mention a sci-fi movie from the same time oh boy that i don't hate but i have similar problems with like the pacing of it where it throws me off okay i'm very curious what that's gonna be so i may not be the best one to convince you okay well, anyone else out there, if you want to convince me that Blade Runner is amazing, please, please do. I'm open to, I'm open to it. And a very spicy take, a very spicy list so far, and I'm going to keep it extra caliente. Picante Oof. would be the right word. Oof. A movie you know I don't care for. 94% critics, 94% audience. Oh my God. The Dark Knight. If I didn't already know this, I'd be screaming. I guess I right. am raising my voice right now because I'm still angry right now. I'm still angry. I don't think anybody needs me to do this, but <sighs> directed by Christopher Nolan. We know Christopher Nolan. Written by him and his brother. We know all the movies. Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Michael Caine, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Killian Murphy, who I love. Some Please, love everybody, go well. watch The the Wind That Shakes the Barley, unknown gem from Killian Murphy, Gary Oldman, Morgan Freeman. I mean, stacked, stacked. Now, I am not going to argue this is a bad movie. However, my reasons for hating it are as follows. I'm not hating it. No, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. The biggest problem I have is what I mentioned before, that I have no imagination. I have, a, a, I guess you'd say a problem, if you want to call it that, with suspension of disbelief. And it's why I don't watch a lot of like Marvel movies, because I can't watch it and not be like, wait, that would never happen. Or like, how is this even happening? Or like, how much time has passed between these scenes? Like... What is going on? Like, I can't, like, lose myself in the movie. And this, I will say, of any movie I've ever seen, and granted, again, I don't watch many of these anymore after this one came out, is the, the, the movie that requires the most suspension of disbelief of anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I stand by that. 
every single scene is like what that would never fucking happen like if that guy's not standing like right there this whole plot like blows up how did that happen how did he get from like here to there like i can't get it and i know it wasn't about this movie but when like when like coppola and scorsese were talking about how they don't like marvel movies and they're more of like theme park rides than cinema again i know it wasn't about these movies and i know people praise this for being for for nolan's ability to put the artistry to put the cinema cinematic value into the genre i i I see more of what people see are saying about marvel movies today i i'm not saying it's bad i like heath ledger's performance I would continue to argue that Christian Bale's voice is ridiculous and it takes away from the character, but I cannot get past that this is just a superhero movie. I never really understood what is going on that people are saying like 94%, one of the greatest films of all time. You that is too far for me. And and finally, I will admit my biases that I came into this movie not wanting to like it. Because, as I think is now a well-known story, basically, Warner Brothers wanted to reboot Batman. The original idea was to have Darren Aronofsky do a a kind of a take on Frank Miller's Batman Year One comic, which, you know, Batman was going to be homeless in, in the comic. Catwoman is like a dominatrix prostitute like basically it would have been uh for that movie darren wanted joaquin phoenix to play batman which is hilarious because obviously he played the joker and i love the joker uh it basically would have been like the wrestler mixed with batman and i was so pumped for that movie i love darren aronofsky and the studio wanted didn't want to go that direction at all they wanted freddie prince jr to play Batman, oh which is God. insane. That's ridiculous. And it got it got scrapped, and they ended up going this direction. So that's my bias. Again, I'm not saying this is a bad movie, but those are the reasons why I don't like it. Look, I I just let you get up on the soapbox there. Give all the reasons. I still think you're crazy. Fair enough. I, like the majority of the world, loves this film, but... I do respect those I do respect those reasons and obviously your opinion but I still think you're crazy. Fair enough. My goal here was only to explain my reasons to say here's why I hate it. You don't have to agree with those reasons, but I feel like those are at least sound reasons. Hey, those are those are those are sound reasons. Absolutely. Can we at least agree that Christian Bale's voice is absurd? His voice is a little bit absurd. And I love Christian Bale. I'll ad- in so many movies. Oh, he's so great. But I but I will say the one thing that doesn't at all for me make me dislike those the the Dark Knight films at all cuz I again absolutely love them so much. But it would have been cool at some point to see that Darren Aronofsky version. I mean, I love I love him as well. Like Wrestler is such a great film. And um, what's crazy is that I feel like we got it with the Joker, and I love the Joker. I 
love that film. The Joker, That's the movie that I want to see. Okay. Yeah, I liked The Joker as well. I didn't love it nearly as much, to be to be honest, as the Dark Knight films. But I liked it. I thought Joaquin was amazing. Incredible actor Joaquin is. He really is. Big shout out. Um, well, my number three is another very loved film. Um, not quite that loved, but... Keeping the spice levels up, 83% tomato meter, 87% audience, the 1973 horror classic, The Exorcist. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So, not into this movie. Don't like it. Seen it three to four times. Directed by William Friedkin. He also did The French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A. More recently in life, he did Killer Joe with Matthew McConaughey. Um, cast is Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Lee J. Cobb. Absolute, just just like Blade Runner, tentpole in the sci-fi genre. That I mean, The Exorcist, it's, it's one of, if not the most famous horror film ever. And... Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it holds up great. So, wow. So I watched this last week. Uh, I'd already, of course, seen it a few times. I've never liked it. And I, you know, I it's been a while, though. It's been about at least five years, if not longer, since my last time seeing it. And I said, you know what? I went, I went in truly with an open mind. Mike and I both are into horror and uh, I just, I've never understood why this is the horror film I don't like. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back in fresh viewing. Don't remember too much. Let's see. Watched it again. Nope. Don't like it at all. And I mean, the whole film's about, this 12-year-old girl that's possessed and her mother, you know, seeks see, eventually seeks the help of these two priests to save her. But just to go into the reasons I don't like this film, the, the number one reason, which this is the one thing I've never forgotten that I dislike about it. And every time I see it again that it's on, I'm reminded and I wonder how the hell could anyone get past this? The little girl, Reagan, her, the way she acts in the film makes me laugh. I think it's so stupid. Like, it's not scary to me at all. Like, the voice, the, the possessed voice she does, just the way that... She, and again, I know it was 1973. I try to remember that and think, okay, like maybe at the time... I just can't get by it. I I think the voice is cheesy. I think the way she acts is cheesy. I don't think it's petrifying or scary at all. And and look, maybe the possession type films don't get me as much. I when I think about all the horror I like, that stuff is not usually at the top of my list. But even so, such an iconic film of the genre, I would think that I could at least see some of why it's so big and i and i can't 
and and rewatching it this time, I I even think the plot is like I don't know. I thought the plot wasn't even fully clear. Like it starts with with Max von Sydow, Marin, with him like finding that that amulet in in Iraq, and they never clearly link that to the rest of the film. The rest of the film takes place in Georgetown. And it's like, yeah, he's in both places, but it's sort of like, did he somehow bring the demon back out into the world? It's it's not even fully hinted at. And I was like, what was the point of that opening? I never got that. The whole story, the whole story with the other priest never really gripped me. And again, the the one the number one thing I can't get past, the whole reason it's supposed to be scary is because this 12-year-old girl is possessed. And I just think it's a laughable, silly performance of her being possessed. I just, I I watched the whole damn movie last week again. Waste of my time. I'm never watching it again. Okay. Uh, Wow. A few things. I think part of what they're able to do in terms of the effects Mm -hmm. of the possession are commendable. For 1973 okay maybe that part doesn't necessarily translate but i think what they did with the movie is great in that effect i do think in terms of like scariness it's more about kind of how outlandish the language she's using mm-hmm. is you know what i mean they're like really like dropping c-bombs and like your mother sucks cock in hell or whatever it is like it's so crazy for 73 that maybe it's more like normalized today. I think that's part of like the surprise scare factor. Okay. I can see that. But but just to, just to be clear, do you like the conjuring? Mm, I'm so, so oh, on it. it. I'm done with you. I'm done. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> oh my God. I think you just don't like possession movies. I, I think that's it. They've, that's like the one type of horror film that doesn't really do it for me. Which is fair enough. I can't really blame you there. Yeah, it just, it doesn't have, there's there's two types of scares to me. One is obviously in-movie scares that make you jump or make you whatever. And then there's post-movie scares where something was so creepy it sticks with you. And this film, possession films in general for me, don't have either. Conjuring it okay. with some jump scares. So I like that more than The Exorcist. Well, not really digging the possession movies in general, I think is a good enough reason. Yeah, I'd say that's that's my real, that's probably my top reason at the end of the day. And, and for me, like Exorcist wouldn't be in like my Mount Rushmore of horror movies, let's say. Mm-hmm. But for the possession genre, it's up there. That's fair. I don't even know if it's, I like Rosemary's Baby a lot. Anyway, Rosemary's Baby is probably the one that I enjoy the most just because I think it's interesting, even if it doesn't totally, again, not my favorite, but I like Rosemary's Baby. Wow. Okay. Number two. This, This could arguably be my number one. It's definitely my number one in terms of ratings but I hit my number one more. So I'm going with it here at two. Wow. 95% critics. Whoa. 
96 percent audience oh my god the 1981 film indiana jones and the raiders of the lost oh my what what i've seen this movie two times in the last three months so i'm very confident in my take this might be more outrageous to me than dark knight Yes. Holy I'm so glad. fuck. I'm so glad. Okay. So, just the particulars. Let's get it out of the way. You already know. Directed by some guy called Steven Spielberg. Starring some guy Harrison Ford. <laughs> Story, some guy George Lucas. We don't need to talk about that anymore. No. Uh, written by Lawrence Kasdan, for what it's worth, who also wrote The Bodyguard. Big ups to The Bodyguard. Okay. I'm waiting for this one. The story is everybody knows the story. It's like inspired so many people like when we were younger, like in terms of the adventurous side of it. It is a little bit strange that it's about an archaeologist, but that's neither here nor there. That's not why I hate it. And I hate this movie. Hate it. The fight scenes completely laughable. It looks like they didn't even know what a coordinator for fights was. And you could say, oh, that's 1981. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's like saying Bruce Lee movies, like, oh, they should be bad too. No, they're great. The fight scenes are horrific. Horrific to the point of laughing. The script is so careless. I don't even know what's going on when I'm watching the film. Like when they're now digging, because the other people are digging in the wrong place. So now Harrison Ford's group is digging. You're like, wait, where the fuck are they? And then you realize they're literally 10 feet away from the other camp. And somehow no one's noticed that there's 30 people digging a gigantic hole. It's totally bizarre. (laughs) And I mean, the dialogue is just so average at best. The, the character played by Karen Allen, like the sort of female lead, one, she, her, she like overacts it to the point where like you think you're like watching a play, like it's so over the top and cringy that it I can't even stand it. And the main, the main like sort of German bad guy is the same, where it's just like this is literally the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Then that puts aside. The fact that the, this is maybe not fair for the movie, but it's 1981. It's not 1881. He just straight up talks about how like he was raping this girl when she was a kid. They don't ever tell you her exact age. But if you do some digging like in the novel or like some of the back like behind the scenes stuff that was discussed, at best, and this is real, you can look this up, at best... In the lore of the movie, they were dating when Indy was t- about 25 and she was 15. Wait, she might have been as young what? as 12. She might have been as young as 12. What? But the, at best, she was 15. And when they first meet in the beginning of the movie, Indy's, she's like, she's like mad at him for this. And she's like, I was a child. I think almost the exact line is, I was a child. You knew it was wrong. And 
he is basically like, well, you should have known at the time or something like that. And they just like gloss over the fact that he was dating her as a kid. And they like Lucas and Spielberg, they talked about her being approximately 12. And in the novel, she's 15 and he's 25. Well, that's unsure. That did not age well. And it was again, 1981. Like it wasn't that long ago. And then, Jesus. and then. By the way, unsure means not, not cool guys. Yeah. Incredibly not sure. Yeah. And then after all of this, let's not gloss over the fact that Indiana Jones does fuck all to save the day. At the very end, he's tied up and then somehow the Ark of the Covenant shoots these weird fucking death lasers that kill everybody but him in a terrible looking like uh, Tales of the Crypt is like what I would think of like skeleton face that I guess is like famous, but maybe I give them a pass because, you know, it's the 80s. It's not the same special effects. I will argue that if it looks like shit in the 80s, you shouldn't do it. But anyway, yeah, then he's just like everyone else is dead thanks to this weird fucking Ark of the Covenant beam and then he just like walks away a hero and has done nothing to do to save anybody the entire fucking time your passion against this is wow wow that's my rant I mean hot garbage look you you backed up your claims so I can't hate on it I'm just sad I want you – yeah, I'm a little bit set too, and I told you I'm already dead inside. But <laughs> I want you – seriously, I want you and anybody else to honestly go watch this movie now and tell me what I'm missing. I think you will agree this does not hold up. Okay. Besides the, statu- besides the statutory rape thing, which is obviously terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. The rest of it I don't think is there. Okay. I am going to – and can I also tell you my favorite thing of that whole description that <laughs> you name drop Lawrence Kasdan – and you just go, by the way, he wrote this uh, movie called The Bodyguard. And you're like, I'm just not going to mention that he wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, no, I didn't. No, I Force didn't. Awakens. Nope, nope, nope. nope, nope. <laughs> Fuck Star Wars, bro. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I, like the, I said The Bodyguard because I like The Bodyguard. Oh, I know why you did it. I know why you did it. I just I had to call it out. I did write in my notes about the other Star Wars. I just didn't want to bring it because everyone didn't. in this movie is in Star Wars. <laughs> Wow, that is the hottest of hot takes for number two. I will give you another very well-loved film, but a much more recent film. So my number two came out in 2015. It's got a 97% tomato meter and a 93% audience. Ooh, so spicy. And it won Best Picture at the Oscars that year. Spotlight. Okay. All right. You go. You go. So, I want to hear this. I don't actually love this film, so I'm I'm already with you. So it's it's directed by Tom McCarthy. He also was one of the writers on it, but we've got massive cast in this film. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liev Schreiber, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci. The list goes on. It, it's a stacked, stacked cast. And it's, a, you know, it's all about the true story of when the Boston Globe uncovered the, the, the massive scandal of, uh, and cover-up 
within like the local Catholic church with, with the child molestation, um, which was huge when it happened. And in theory, this could be a really interesting movie telling that true story and sort of shining a light on these journalists that uncovered everything. And, and really, I mean, it, it, it was a really big thing in real life. Unfortunately, somehow this film that everyone seems to love, I found to be so incredibly boring and so incredibly flat. It, and I just don't understand it because they have such good content to draw from. And I mean, they literally were handed on a silver platter, this incredible true story. And I don't think it effectively, I do not think that the filmmakers or the actors effectively put this story to the screen. There's zero tension in the film, very little depth. It just, it feels bland to me throughout. It's, it's the, it's this unreal stellar cast and it just goes to waste. It's like, I'm not going to say that I hated the whole film, every single moment of it, but I remember sitting there watching it thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going in right now to see one of the best movies of the year, most likely. And I go in, this was before it had won the Oscar, but you know, I just remember thinking the whole film, okay, all right, like they're telling the story. I'm seeing the story, but it doesn't feel very exciting or interesting. I'm not, you know, and it it, it wasn't like, oh, it was just a, you know, a newsroom drama that I wasn't getting. I, I like those films. Like I just didn't feel any tension, any depth, even some of the performances I felt like were just bland. And I, and I like all these, these actors, so I don't really want to shit on any of them, but it really was just devoid of emotion. No clue how it won best picture. I'm, I'm shocked to this day. I do think that has somewhat some to do with the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not as low on it as you are, but and again, obviously, this is off the cuff since I don't know your list. But I had a similar point about kind of that it gets it's a bit of a slog in the middle there. And the movie that it reminded me of this is bonus bonus movies that other people love that I don't love that much. Mm-hmm. Bonus for you, oh baby is. Zodiac, ah. which I don't hate, but it it just it drags, and there's so much like in just like the gathering of the information. Dude, I'm just like, I'm with you 100. Sort of loses you a little bit. That's actually funny you bring that up because that was a movie I went in really wanting to love, and I felt exactly the same. Where I felt like it loses you a little bit and feels a little bland, and people love it. I've actually been considering rewatching it recently because I haven't seen it since theaters. Yeah, maybe I should too. But, and and funny enough about Spotlight, before we go into your number one, similar to your upcoming number one, Spotlight, similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark, has really high scores. And my number one also, like yours, Mike, is going to be a little bit lower, but I just more passionately hate it. So with that said, what is your number one? My number one... 74% critics. 
so pretty low, but 94% audience. Wow. And I saw this movie for the very first time in March of this year. And I was like, it was one of those like, not grail, but like one of the biggest movies that's like somehow I don't know how I haven't seen this. And like, I'm really excited to see this. Tombstone. Wow. Okay. So. I've never seen it. Okay. So you'll have to watch it after this. Because I don't even know. Okay. So some quick background. One, uh, this, yes, this basically tells a version of the story like at the OK Corral with Wyatt Earp, which is like a very famous like Wild West moment. I love Wild West stuff. I love like frontiersmen, like mountain men type stuff. Like so passionate about it. Was very excited to see this movie. I was doing better at this time, and I was telling you about this before the podcast, but I was doing better at like keeping track of what I was watching, just very basic like notes on it and a rating. And I I would say almost this is a very quick aside, but like I kind of have this theory that like almost every movie is a six or a seven out of ten. Because anything lower than that is not going to get greenlit by Hollywood. And, like, it's very hard to make a great film. So, like, yes, there's some that go higher. Yes, there's some that go a little lower. But, like, for me, like, a 6 or 7 out of 10 is, like, average. You mentioned on Rotten Tomatoes, it's, like, a 60% is, like, what's a successful film, sort of. And that's, like, I kind of feel the same. I rated this movie well below any other movie I've seen this year. Four out of ten. Wow. Which is like worst movies ever to me. And what I wrote at the time, this is a quote from me. Cast is right. Story is ambitious. Script is disjointed, awkward, tired, and lazy at best. And basically every review that I read about this film in preparation for this goes like this. This movie has a ton of problems, but it's fun, so don't worry about it. And it's like, well, hang on, like, let's talk about the problems that it has. <laughs> and, it, and and that is really true. Like, the set design, like the sort of stylizing is great. The cast, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, come on, Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, a little guy called Terry O'Quinn. Oh my God, John Locke. Big shout out to Lost. And and honestly. I think the directing and writing will begin to tell the tale because basically, so the writers, this guy, Kevin jar, if that's, if that's how you say his name, Mm -hmm. a name that I didn't know, but he has written a few movies. However, if you look at the movies that he's written, he wrote the mummy (laughs) Rambo first blood part two Navy seals. One of the worst movies ever. (laughs) All of these movies are not like known for their great writing, let's say. Most of them like I guess The Mummy was commercially successful, but obviously isn't like a great film. He did write Glory, which is a pretty good film. Maybe a bit overrated, but I'm not gonna take anything away from that. This guy was hired to direct Tombstone, fired after a month. And they brought in George Cosmatos, who directed Rambo First Blood Part Two. 
and I don't really know what happened on set, but somewhere between like having a writer that I don't think was right for the movie, having him be fired as the director, basically, like I said, stylized great, cast great. And then I think they just thought it would take care of itself from there. I mean, the dialogue is outrageous. The plot is all over the place. You don't know what's going on, what's happening. There's like this weird love story. It's truly terrible. And it was really hard for me to get through. Like truly the hardest movie I've seen in a long time. Holy shit. To actually stick to it and watch it. I have no idea what people are seeing when they watch this movie besides maybe similar to indiana jones where it's just like this is like a fun adventure it's such a classic story everybody loves wild west shit i i love um deadwood like that type of stuff i just don't get it at all like this script is almost non-existent like it never came together it's so weird i have to watch it now please watch it and tell me what i'm missing i'm going to i'm going to I can't wait to. It's my diatribe on Tombstone. Wow. Sorry to all involved, especially John Locke. Oh, my God. Terry, we love you. We love you, sir. Um, Bill Paxton appearing in a lot of lists today. Seriously. Shout out Bill Paxton. Um, well, time for my number one. I think this one's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. So, 78% tomato meter, 84% audience. I've rarely met a human that doesn't like, at least like this movie. 2009, The Hangover. This is spicy. <laughs> oh, this is spicy. Oh my god. Okay. Launched the careers of a couple guys. Just a little known actor named Bradley Cooper. Ed Helms. Zach Galifianakis. I mean, you've got Heather Graham in this. Ken Jeong. Jeffrey Tambor. Rob Riggle. The legendary Mike Tyson cameo, or slightly more than a cameo, we'll say. Directed by Todd Phillips, who did Old School. He did Road Trip. He, much later in his career, did The Joker. And he did Starsky and Hutch. But Which I love. Great little, great little film. Shout out, shout out Owen Wilson and... Uh, Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller and Snoop Dogg. And anyway, when this movie came out, I cannot tell you how excited I was for it. I mean, literally, could the plot be more perfect? Three guys wake up from a bachelor party in Vegas with no memory of what happened and the bachelor's missing. So they have to find out what happened and get him back before his wedding. I just. The plot sounds incredible. It sounds incredible. The trailer looked great. I was in in college at the time at BU. I went, Mike, you'll remember, of course, the Re, the Regal Fenway Theater in Boston, Big right across out. from Fenway Park. Big shout out. I went that Thursday at midnight to see this film. 
at midnight. I was sure. I was like, there's no way I'm not going to love it. I fucking love the raunchy comedies. I love all the Apatow films. I love, you know, I like, I feel like a lot of our friends, Mike, I love comedies from the 90s days of Dumb and Dumber and the Adam Sandler and other Jim Carrey films to the old school and Wedding Crasher and Anchorman, all the Will Ferrell movies, all the Apatow films like 40-Year-Old Virgin, Superbad Knocked Up, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Love them all. In I should have loved this movie. Hated it. Hated it. I've watched it three times since because oh people god. get so mad that I don't like this movie. Oh my god, this is crazy. I was so disappointed. And it's really all one thing. And and I will say in years past, my brother has tried to convince me to rewatch this film a few times. My girlfriend, she loves this film. And I've softened on it slightly to where like I can watch it and I'll be like, all right, like, like I can watch it. Like I can have it on. It's okay. But how people regard it as this like classic of the time in the comedy genre, it's garbage compared to the other comedies like of that time. It's, and I'll tell you why. There's only one reason, really. I don't think it has any clever dialogue or lines. It is, and it's funny, Mike, that earlier for basketball, you said that you felt like it relied a lot on physical comedy, which you're not as into from like, you know, the airplane movies and whatnot. That is exactly how I feel about The Hangover. I feel like they rely almost exclusively on either physical comedy or just lines that are its dialogue just that's exposition that explains something that's happening. And because Zach Galifianakis says it in like a, like that was like, like says it in some like certain way that it's supposed to be funny. I don't think any of the lines are clever. I don't think they. So you're saying there's no like true, like dialogue, interpersonal communication. Yeah. It's like when I think of, you know, when I think of Wedding Crashers or I think of Anchorman or I think of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, any of these films are so expertly crafted in their dialogue and they're all totally different from each other. Those three I just said, it's like Anchorman literally created a world and a way of speaking that, I mean, was still is quoted today But even let's just take Wedding Crashers, you know, really big when it came out. I think that was 2005. And, you know, Wedding Crashers had so many hysterical lines from Vince Vaughn, from Christopher Walken, from Owen Wilson, from, you know, all of all of the cast. But it's like all of these comedies rely on lines that make you laugh because they're clever and and, and I don't, yes, because they're clever and they're not just describing something happening on the screen. I feel like the hangover, it's all either physical comedy or just talking about like something stupid they did, but not in a way that makes me laugh because they're, 
feeding me something new or because they actually are saying something funny, if that makes sense. I feel like they are just using their voice to describe something that's happening in front of them in a tone that they think then we're supposed to laugh at. And that's usually Zach Galifianakis in this specific movie. But I truly just think the script is hot garbage. I think set piece wise, they do a pretty solid job. Obviously the tiger in the bathroom is pretty iconic. The Mike Tyson stuff, you know, there are set piece wise in Vegas. They do a good job, but I just don't think outside of that. I I don't think there's any brains to the movie. I think a lot of the other comedies that people latched onto from these this time period of the 2000s and the sort of early 2010s are just all so layered and deep. Like even take a movie like Superbad. I mean, that movie has like a laugh every second and it's because it's there's all these different layers to that film. And it's obviously about relatable to kids that are just getting out of high school and going to be moving on somewhere new and sort of probably missing their friends. It's about first loves. It's about losing your virginity. It's then also you have the cop story with Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. And there's just so many layers to films like that. In addition to just all these different actors that have different forms of comedy and are dropping fucking hilarious lines throughout that are like quotable, funny lines hangover to me doesn't have any quotable lines. Any line that someone could quote from The Hangover is something regarding something happening on screen. Like, it's not like a funny line because it's a funny line. Does that make sense, Mike? It it does. I, I feel like, like, I, in, I also don't really have, like, there's a few, but, like, not many, like, not nearly as many as, like, super bad. Yeah, quotable lines, and it's more like, oh, when that happens, it's funny when that happens. But I, this is such a hot take. I really feel like I need to just go back and watch it to see what you mean. Because off the top of my head, it sounds sort of valid. I don't necessarily agree that it makes it unfunny, but kind of like, at least from my perspective, like what I was saying about Dark Knight, mm-hmm. where it's like, you've given a reason. We can maybe agree whether or not that's valid, but at least it's a viable reason why you don't like it. Yeah. It's like that humor doesn't connect with me. And I think it's a lot different from the humor of pretty much every other film that I mentioned in that whole rant. And I, it just, this one doesn't do it for me. I think it lacks the creativity of any of those other films, including Todd Phillips's other films, old school fucking genius. So many funny lines. But this one for me just does not do it. And that's a wrap on that top five. What a beautiful bookend at number one. Wow. The Hangover and Tombstone, people. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're wrong. Such such a hot take. I'm like stunned. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. I've never, ever met somebody that doesn't like The Hangover. That day has come, my friend. Wow. So excited. Oh, my God. And it doesn't end there. No. Do we want to quickly... We're quickly going to give 
just like we did with the other end of the spectrum, we're going to give just a little, a little another top five bonus list of overrated films that aren't quite universally loved. Yeah, or universally hated by us. Yes. Well, there's a. I'd I'd say, by me, they are. Um, okay. Maybe we took the slightly different directions, which is great. So I ch- I chose films that I I really don't like, but that I just think there are other people that also don't like them based on the audience scores or critic scores. So it's not really universally Ooh, loved. Okay. So mine are more films that are universally loved that I'm I don't love, but I don't quite hate as strongly. I see. Okay. And for the, I think both of what we're getting at is films that are overrated. Exactly. But overrated in different ways, which is interesting. I like this. And so listeners just keep this in mind while we're doing this. But I can I can I can kick us off. My number 5 is The Favorite. Which What's The Favorite? It came out a couple years ago. Um it was one of the Oscar contenders. I actually just recently saw it. It came out in 2018. Um it's like a period piece. It takes place in early 18th century England. But it's with like Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weiss. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm not gonna go into it much. I'm just gonna say people seem to fucking love this movie. It's a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 69% audience. So there are some people that don't, obviously. With that said, I thought I would like it going into it. And it just for me, I didn't hate it. But it did. It is probably the one on my five right here that I didn't hate, but I just didn't love it. It's sort of, I got what they were trying to do. It's it's interesting. Again, I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to go into it much. But it's interesting what the film does with its characters. It's just not that fun or pleasant to watch. And... For me, that does matter. Sometimes something so good that it can be unpleasant but be amazing. This was just... I don't know. I didn't need to spend two hours watching it. Okay, my number five. You're going to have to let me... I think you might freak out, so let me explain. Okay. My number five is not a movie that I hate but it's a movie that is overrated. Okay. Catch me if you can. It's 90- I actually sort of agree with you. It's 96% critics, 89% by the audience. And let me just start by saying Leo is incredible. As an actor and in this film, he's incredible. And what he's able to do in this movie at such a young age is mind-boggling. And it's a good movie. However, this movie, okay, one, the, the pacing is weird, and you don't really know, like, how much time has taken place in between, like, each sort of ruse, so it, it loses some of the tension of the cat and mouse game, because you're never sure if, like, Tom Hanks is, like, one step behind or 50, mm-hmm. or, like, and then towards the end, like, when he's faking being a doctor, you're, like, 
well, wait, wouldn't he just like catch him tomorrow? Cause he knows like where he's going, but he like doesn't, it's really weird. And then it's a movie that really relies on two performances, right? A game of cat and mouse between two people, Leo and Tom Hanks. Leo's incredible. Tom Hanks's character still to this day, I have no idea what they're going for. No clue. It's like, sometimes he's like a George Costanza, like dunce. And they're like playing jokes on him. Then other times he's like this fedora wearing like noir detective. I have no idea who his character is. And I didn't like the performance at all. Obviously Tom Hanks is incredible. I just don't like the performance. And it's to say that this is a 96 is just not true. It's enjoyable. I would watch it again. Leo's great, but 96, get out of here. That's fair. And what's funny, because typically, yes, I know you would have thought I would have freaked out because Leo, but I also think this is one of his most, again, his performance is great, but I think it's one of his most overhyped movies. I think a lot of people would put this easily in their top five Leos. And for me, it's not even in the top 10. Agreed. So we're actually, we're on the same page. Just talking overrated. And Dill agrees with us too, by the way. Oh, really? I, I, I watched this movie like three months ago and texted him. And Amazing. he had the same phone. Amazing. Oh my God. I can't believe we're all on the same page. That's very short. Um, no, no, that was, that was a great overrated. And my number four goes in a totally different direction to the world of Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA. How dare you? How dare you? Do not say what you're about to say. The master. Oh, okay. All right. What did you think I was going to say? But uh, It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. I, I didn't. I, I, I thank I, God I didn't. Um, it's, oh, thank God. Yeah, I don't really love the master either, but no. I love P.T. Anderson. Yeah. No, and I do as well. I think he's fantastic. I mean, he's a one-of-a-kind director. I love a bunch of his movies. I love Boogie Nights, love Magnolia, love There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood, greatest movie of all time. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. Great. Not even a hot take. Greatest movie of all time. It is a fucking fantastic movie. and That's what I thought you were going to say. No, no, no. Oh, you would have been so mad. But I, I felt like after There Will Be Blood, for me, he's fallen off a little since then, but especially with The Master. The Master was an absolute piece of garbage in my mind. And I know, so it was an 85, I I, I forget if I said this already, but it was an 85 tomato meter, 61 audience. Um, But again, it was very highly acclaimed as his films usually are. And I went into it excited, obviously, like his, I believe, well, yeah, his, his, previous movie had been there will be blood five years ago so it'd been five years since we got a new pta film master comes out in 2012 i thought it was shit and look i know that it's talking about all these deep themes i know that there's a lot you can pull from it i know it's got joaquin in it i know it's got philip seymour hoffman to both rest in peace philip seymour hoffman but Two unbelievable Jesse Plemons. It just fucking it just doesn't do it for me. It's it's too much. It's 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 not whatever they were going for. They didn't. They didn't grip me. They did. All his movies usually grip me, and I'm I'm fine with that. A lot of his films sort of are 
I'm not going to call them slice of life films because they're not exactly, but they tend to be longer. They tend to see a situation through over time. But this one just, it lost me. It fully lost me. I, I couldn't even follow it at times. And it was just almost so ambiguous that I, it was too much for me. I just, I thought it was PTA going way too far down the PTA rabbit hole himself, which I'm sure some people fucking loved, but I thought it was pretentious shit. I like it obviously more than you, mm-hmm. but not, not so much that I'll sit here and defend it. I'll let you have that one. Okay. Thank you. My number four is going to be extremely short because I have exactly one criticism. <laughs> oh my god! My number four is Return of the King, the third. Of Are Lord you of the fucking wait, crazy? Wait wait wait, 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 wait. So just to be clear, it's a 93, 86% audience. All I have to say about this, I've seen the trilogy, I don't know, probably three times, say like all the way through. The fact that somehow, after 12 hours, we learn that we just have access to an invincible ghost army that can take anything out right away ruins the entire thing. It doesn't ruin it. I'm, I'm being like hyperbolic. It drives me absolutely nuts and is why I won't watch sci-fi movies anymore. It's why I don't like sci-fi movies. This is the reason. That you can just make up rules at any moment and just take away from the entire story Fuck the ending of this. Fuck oh that. Fuck God. Ghost Army. Oh I literally made the only notes that I wrote for this are WTF Ghost Army. That's all I wrote. That's what's on my oh screen my right God. now. Oh, my God. Get out of here with your Ghost Army. I fucking love Return of the King. might be my favorite. You like the Ghost Army. You like the set. That somehow I mean, the entire it, thing. It's it like just the doesn't... end of Indiana. It's like you guys didn't even win. You just like this whole time you just brought some other invincible force that makes the whole 12 hours moot. I don't know. I haven't watched them in a, in a handful of years, to be fair, but I've seen them quite a few times. And for me, number two is the weakest link. But I don't know. that that Again, this just goes to show you can't do the suspension of disbelief thing. No, I can't. You just can't do it. No, I can't do it. And this you know what? Why? That's fair. I can't, I can't get mad at you for that. I will say... Wait, what year was Return of the King? I have to look this up, double checking it, because I don't want to say something terrible on this podcast that I'll regret later. Oh my god, it's two thousand three. Two thousand three. I had a ticket stub from Return of the King in my coat pocket for the longest time, and I don't really know why, except that I went to see Return of the King and left midway through. To oh. make out with a girl, to make out with a girl, and then I didn't see it again until it was on DVD. Swiggy. <laughs> Actually, that's incredibly epic. So, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I'm like any other reasoning would not have been yeah. accepted. Absolutely not been accepted. All right, my number three, The Witch, horror film from just a couple of years ago. It was. Yeah. Uh, or, or 2015, so five years ago. 
90% Rotten Tomatoes, 58% audience. So again, I, I'm not alone. But again, I just thought this, this one just didn't fucking do it for me. Robert Eggers, you know, he's done The Witch. He just did The Lighthouse. I have just decided that this, this, this guy's just not for me. It's, he has a very, he's, he's got a style. And look, I respect it. A lot of people like it. I don't. I think the the witch was fucking painful to get through for me. It was, and again, maybe that stuff just doesn't creep me out as much. It had its moments. I'll at least give it that. It had a couple moments. But I just remember being like, what the fuck am I watching? And if I could actually go even further, I, I realized I really should have chosen The Lighthouse for this instead, his more recent movie, because that movie might have been one of the top five times in a theater where I almost just walked out because I was like, I'm just watching nonsense right now. I'm just watching nonsense. So this this really turned into me saying The Lighthouse sucks. And Dude, I, I have the same opinions, but about M. Night. I know exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> I don't feel that way about Robert Eggers, and I'm pretty excited for The Northman, but I understand the emotion. Well, I love that we can at least share in the emotion. I love that. I'll, hey, I'm going to see The Northman. Track record for me is not, gonna, is not working in yeah. his favor, but yeah. we'll see. It, it took me until Lady in the Water to actually walk out. Okay. I mean, that was a fair one to walk out of. Not, I'm going to give you that. But Still shout out Paul Giamatti. Love that guy. <laughs> Obviously. Also in, uh, what's that Clive Owen movie that we talked about? Shoot him up. Shoot him up. What's uh, what's your number three? My number three is, it's going to require a little explanation, is No Country for Old Men. 93% tomato meter, 86% audience. Love the Coen Brothers. Basically every movie that they make. Love anybody with the last name Cohen. Uh, oh, yeah. It's so, it's so well made. Javier Bardem is incredible in it. Tommy Lee Jones is good. I don't know if he's incredible. And and I think Josh Brolin is also pretty good, but not like, say, my favorite performance. So well made. But it's I watched it again two days ago. It's just deeply unsatisfying that at the end of the day, Javier Bardem is a super badass that can kill everybody and there's nothing you could do to stop it. Like there's no sense of like justice in the movie and it's just deeply unsettling and I don't like it. You know what? I totally agree. It's such okay, a glad. it's such a like you know it's so overrated. It's such a well loved movie, and again, it's done very well. Like no one can dispute that, but it's just not even close to my favorite Coen Brothers movie, personally. Yeah. Um, where I as I think a lot of people would put that as their top or in their top three at least. It is so well done, and I want to like it. Same. I just can't. It's just I've seen it three times now, and I, I can't say I'll be going back for a fourth. 
No. Me either. Onwards, number two. Number three. Wait, you're number two? Number two for Sorry, me. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot you went first. Go ahead. Um, This one isn't as loved. Okay, so cr- critics, 67%. Audience, 88% on this. And this just makes my blood boil. Because this movie fucking sucks oh my god Hobbs and Shaw oh I didn't even see this so it's a good you're a good man it came out last year 2019 it's the you know it's the offshoot Fast and Furious movie with The Rock Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham it is I am such a big Fast and the Furious fan. It's arguably, it's one of my favorite film film franchises. And we always have been. Yes. Like number one, from number one, I have been such a massive fan of this, this series. I loved when The Rock joined for Fast Five and then onwards, despite the fact that, you know, you hear about him and Vin Diesel don't really get along. He really added a lot as a nice side character to the movie. And I also love The Rock. I've always loved The Rock. I absolutely love the guy. This is the first time for me that The Rock has really soured on me. One, because if you heard about the behind the scenes, because of the way that he wanted his schedule to be, he talked Universal into doing this movie before they do Fast and Furious 9. Everyone wants Fast and Furious 9, and none of the other cast was okay with this. And as we know about the Fast and Furious movies, the entire franchise is about family and family first. They invited The Rock into their family. And to me, this was him just spitting in their faces and saying, you know, I'm more important than any of you. And I'm going to do what I want. I want to make this, you know, this offshoot. Wow. And because I'm now a bigger actor, going I have the, the I, I am. And, and I, and you know, if you ever hear this, Dwayne, I am such a massive fan. I've been a massive fan since the wrestling days. But I think w- what, what was done here was wrong. You know, this was, he decided to do what was going to be best for him when no one else involved in these movies that have been there from day one wanted this to happen in this order. No one cared if he did it after nine, but because of his filming schedule, he had to do it before nine. And now, now, I mean, with, especially with the pandemic now, we're waiting years and years longer to see nine, but anyways, if the movie was good, I could forgive him for all this and I went into the movie praying it was going to be good because I said I'm, I'm mad at the rock I don't like that I'm annoyed at what he did hopefully this thing will be good and you know it'll be fine well I'll tell you what happened the rock tried to make Fast and Furious one of his other mindless movies that where the rock all acts the exact same in 
Central Intelligence or what's all the other movies The Rock's done? Um, you know, all these all these films that Rampage. he made. Any of them, any of them. San Andreas, was he in that Yeah, one? San Andreas, exactly. Any of these films, The Rock has this 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 persona, sort of this goofy but funny persona that's very, very like family friendly, sort of PG, PG thirteen, we could say. And he just fully betrayed his character, Hobbs, that we've come to meet over the last, you know, five, six, seven, and eight of Fast and Furious. Look, Hobbs does have the legendary one-liners and unreal lines that add so much to those films. The reason they're so impactful in those films is one, because he's not in too much of the films. And two, he's still a fucking hard ass at the end of the day. This movie, his character was completely different. It was like he was this big, silly guy, like he plays in all these other blockbusters he stars in, with, you know, cracking all these jokes a mile a minute. It just was out of character from the character that we had seen in the last four films. And so I felt like he dumbed it down, made it really cheesy. Like the story on top of it wasn't really good. Like you, you've got, you've got Idris, you've got, you've got Idris Elba. He's one, he's a fucking legend and you did not use him to his full potential. It just, they fast and furious films. They're famous for having these epic set pieces and like these unbelievable action scenes and all the action scenes in, in this. Um, yes, there were big ones, of course, but none of them felt iconic or memorable where I'm ever going to remember them. And the don't even get me started on the final third of the movie where The Rock decides he's going to go, you know, to to his heritage in Hawaii and get all the Samoans together to fight against the bad guys. It was literally like The Rock was just fucking oh my god it was it was it was such a fucking ego trip and him just self-indulging on all his own stuff that that had nothing to do with the the fast and the furious movies it made me so angry it was garbage it was a couple a couple of my friends that i went with were laughing their asses off walking out of the theater because i was just shaking my head and and i'm not someone that really dislikes a lot of movies. Um, I usually can find something good. I know that we've obviously had these lists today, so you're seeing the few movies that I don't like, but this is a movie I'm passionate about because it's like, don't, don't come into a movie series that's so near and dear to so many people's hearts, especially all the, you know, the cast and crew that have been working on it since the beginning and then try to run your own spin on it and like totally change up the vibe and and get some other things out of sync in the process. It's like respect what has come before you. And I think The Rock really lost his way a little bit with this one and forgot that he was invited into this family, play by their rules. You're an incredible, incredible supporting piece to this story, but you can't always be the leading man and you're not the leading man in this in these films. So just accept that you don't always have to be the leading man. You have so many other vehicles to do that. 
This one, supporting role, you crush it, man. You crush it. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. That's it. That's all I have to say about that one. We're going to have to do an extremely long and deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Though I will say here, for me, I want I want the franchise to end at Fork in the Road with Wiz Khalifa in the background. Agree. Agree. That would have been that's, a perfect That's, that's kind of where I'm done with it. But anyway, my number two is a bit confusing because it's 92% critics, 52% audience. But based on like what people have said, I've decided to, to include it here as something that's overrated. And that is Uncut Gems. Wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, this movie was being talked about for like Oscar nods. I'm glad to see it as more of a 52 for the audience because I think that's where I am. But I just don't think that Sandler was anything to write, write home about in it. And honestly, like sort of the editing it makes it feel really like chaotic and, and it's like i never you can't like get into it i feel like it's so crazy that you just like you're never really take a moment to get absorbed into the story if that makes any sense true that's true i think that i didn't i just didn't love it hey that's fine that's totally fine i liked it but i i'm with you I mean, I'm with your assessment. Like, for me, it was a one and done. I'm never going to watch it again. I did enjoy the ride, but it's, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, like, crazy memorable or anything. You're number one. Okay. My number one, which, okay, my number one, 71% tomato meter. 74% audience. So not crazy high, but this movie, when it came out, it was such a hit and everyone was quoting it. Everyone loved it. And it just never did it for me. Napoleon Dynamite. Came out in 2004. Big, big comedy. Really offbeat, off, and look, I don't have a lot to say about it. All I have to say, it really pissed me off how popular it was. It just, I didn't like the humor. I still don't really connect with that humor. And I'm sure a lot of you are like, wow, you're wrong. You have a bad sense of humor if you don't like this movie. I just... I don't like it. That's that is really it. I've watched it multiple times. It falls super flat for me. I do feel like when that movie came out, it would be like ninety percent rating, and then if you watched it today, it would be like fifty percent rating, and that's how it got to like seventy four. Yeah, because like it is it, in the moment, it was huge, and it was funny, and I liked it subsequent rewatches it does not hold up and i don't know what was going on in the moment it just it just was it was like a tour de force it was like its own thing it was a pop culture moment yeah it really was and i was so into it and now i'm not into it i totally agree with you the also in in my 
reasoning for number two and one, I realized Hobbs and Shaw should probably be number one with the amount of passion and vitriol that yeah. I just spilled. <laughs> but fuck it. We're, we're, we're going to switch those officially. Napoleon's number two. Hobbs and Shaw, number one. That's an on-the-spot switch. Wow, love that. Wow. So my number one on the overrated list is Alien. Wow. 98%, 94% audience. And again, this isn't in the hate list. This is in the overrated list because it's hard to... First of all, if you're going to raise something that high, it's almost guaranteed to be overrated because that's like basically a perfect film. And I just... This is the movie I alluded to earlier mm-hmm. where it's a sci-fi movie that I just I don't get the pacing. It's really slow to start. And I guess it's supposed to be building tension and I don't really appreciate sort of the dialogue that's going on. So it's the whole like first half hour is not that good to me. It does pick up. And from like a monster movie perspective, it's still pretty good. But yeah, it's, it's slow to start and then suddenly like someone dies like every five minutes, like really kind of abruptly at the end. Sigourney's so good in it. Like overall, I still do think it's a good movie. I like it. I like Aliens a lot. I, yeah, the pacing for this one is just, I never really got the like absolute fascination in very much the same way that you are not hot on Blade Runner. Do you want to know what's funny? I'm actually... I agree with you about Alien. I, I I think I might like it a little bit more than you, but... I, mean, I think, 98 and 94 is like saying it's the best fucking movie ever. Yeah, no, it's it's not. it's not. Aliens, I think, is actually way better, personally. Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, look, again, everything you said is valid about also reasons why it's, why it's solid, but it's overrated. I, I'm with you. I'm 100% b- behind that. I back that. Wow. Four, four top five lists for Crazy. both of us. Feels like we should just do one more, though. Just just for fun. A little, little bonus top five? Let's, a little surprise yeah, bonus top let's five? Let's do a bonus round. Yeah, if you guys want to stick around, me? let's do today bonus top five. Let's do... Let's do favorite top five appetizers. Okay. I think it could get heated. I'm prepared for this, but I also have like 20. So. Well, you're going to have to pick five, my friend. I've got five. I've got five, but I might shout out like 17. (laughs) So. Yeah, fuck it. So guys, we're going to do a bonus top five. Maybe it'll help you get to know us a little bit. Our style, our personalities, but we're just going to do appetizers top five mike you start this one off oh my god this is so tense i this is so much so much more tense than any of the other lists okay top five wow 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 number five is fried calamari Ooh, total disagree i will tell you right off the bat that fried calamari uh, i love it but like I like a lot of things, so that doesn't mean anything. For me, this has to be top five because it is a crowd pleaser. If you are from like the New York area, this is like what you get for your Italian-American family 
every time you go out to eat. It's just a staple. You get to have a little debate about whether you like the rings or the tentacles, but it's 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 tasty and it's just been feeding the people my ancestors for years. So that is a completely valid reasoning because that is so true. Like that is the one app that pleases like everyone at all these family dinners, all this whatever. And that is precisely why it annoys me because <laughs> literally I never order it. No, I never order it. No, never order it. I never order it. Cause I'm always I've like, had it a million times I'm, growing up. Yeah, like why the hell does everyone want this? It's fine. It's fine. Like, of course it's tasty, but it's like, Oh, it kills me. And oh, well, before I get to my number five, do you have, do you have any specific restaurant where you sp- specifically love it that you want to shout out anywhere in the world? No, because I don't even love it. I'm just giving it here because it's a utilitarian appetizer. Funny enough, that that leads in very nicely to my number five, which I'd say, at least on the West Coast, is that plays that same exact role. And my number five is chips and guacamole, which is out here at least – that is sort of the calamari. Everyone everyone always likes to get guacamole. Of course, in California, it's very good, specifically. Really good Mexican food out here. But, you know, it, it never was, honestly, one of my big apps back in the day. I always loved love guacamole, love avocados. But since living here, I've not, I mean, now I've lived here for the better part of a decade, it's a staple pretty much wherever I go. It's always a crowd pleaser. It's delicious. Sometimes you eat too many chips and then you're annoyed because then you filled up a little bit too much for dinner. Regardless, I eat it a lot and I feel like that's why it's included because I probably eat it the most of any of the ones on my list just due to the nature of how often it's ordered as an appetizer around here. I am going to skip my response and tell you that my number four, chips and guacamole. <laughs> you, you said a lot about it. Uh, I think one thing we should add is that it's, you know, it fits in every setting. Like you, okay, you get it in the restaurant, you get those like homemade warm chips. It's incredible. Oh, it's, it's you, delightful. You can get like a, you know, a little trio, like a little sampler. Another amazing take. You get the the make at home version, uh, where it's like I'm putting in very little effort, but the outcome tastes so good that I'm comfortable having people in my home. You can have the kind that they make at your table, which is like a little bit of a show. I love that. Hey, you could even get it at Chipotle if you roll like that and you have like an extra three dollars. But like, it's just it, it's just everywhere. It's great. Can I tell you? Sometimes I do do that at Chipotle. They've got some great. How much is it? Honestly, it's like like two dollars. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's a few bucks. It's a few bucks, but you get a nice bag of chips with it. That's true. It's like, and and I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna shout out. There's there's this one spot in L.A. called Mercado. There's a couple of them, a few of them, but uh, really good guac, good chunky. They got great chips, really good queso too. If you want to get that with with the with the guac and chips, but. Had to do a little shout out. Sadly, we have no Mexican food here. So, so there are no shout outs. No shout outs at all. 
We have guacamole like in a tube. There's like a powdered version. I'm not even making this up. It's like that sounds just, scary. Just move on. Just move on. Okay. It's okay. My number four. <laughs> My number four, which in some ways could be one of the most famous appetizers, is buffalo wings. So. Okay, you go, you go. Okay, so here's my thing. Love wings. Not quite as obsessed as most of America with them. Love them, but only occasionally. Don't love how insanely dirty they are to eat. Just covered in sauce. Not my favorite thing when I'm out eating. Absolutely delicious. But I can't have them all the time like some people. But they absolutely, for me, deserve a place on this list. Because I think in many ways it's like one of the all-time quintessential apps. And again, they are incredibly delicious. I only eat them with ranch, by the way. I do not fuck with blue cheese. And I have a very special shout out, the Yay Rustic Inn in Los Angeles, in Los Feliz. Amazing fucking wings. So if you're in a Los Angeles and you haven't gone there and you like wings, you're fucking up. Get over there. Okay, so I'm that guy. I love wings. Obviously, blue cheese is the answer, not ranch. Oh, Everybody God. knows. But for me, they didn't make my list because I don't think they're an appetizer anymore. Interesting. I feel like in our childhood, they were an appetizer, and now they're a full-fledged thing where they have their own restaurant. You go to the bar, you just get wings of beer. I never have wings before eating anything else. If I'm having wings, that's it. You want to know what's so it's interesting? Experience. I'm the opposite. I've still never done that in my life. I that's always insane. eat them before something else. Oh, my God. I love that take. That's, inc- that's a crazy take. <laughs> okay. My number three... I'm going to maybe describe it since I don't think I can sort of pronounce it correctly. But okay. Number three is those, what's sometimes called summer rolls, but like those Vietnamese mm-hmm. shrimp wrap roll things. Do you know what I'm talking about? I 100% know what you're talking about. And they're so goddamn refreshing. And Y'all. what's great about them is that while there are like some specific places that I've been to in the past, that are like good. There's such simple ingredients that basically no matter where you are, if you're at a Vietnamese spot and you get them, they're everybody's gonna love them. And they're just just amuse the palate to get you right into your meal. Don't take up too much room. You're happy to crush a bowl of pho afterwards. They're just so tasty and refreshing. It's just a joy to have them. That was an absolutely delightful description. And we get those we get those here sometimes. They they are very refreshing and they are they are wonderful. I I can I can live with that number 3. I mean, I disagree, but they are wonderful. So tell me your number 3. My number 3 is wonton soup. love wonton soup and 
I did wonder, am I allowed am I allowed to put a soup on here as an appetizer? But I thought no one no one gets wonton soup as their main meal. It's it's treated as an app. It's my favorite soup. It's like my all-time favorite soup. Wow. And I love it. I've been having it since I was a little kid. It's hard for me to get Chinese food and not get it. And I just think the, the uh, there's something about that flavor. It's just, it gets me. That flavor with the, with, the, with the wontons in there. Sometimes they got the little the little pieces of like pork and the scallion just floating around in there. It's, it's wonderful. I, I absolutely I, love I it. I cannot fault you for wonton soup, though I will say hot and sour soup is a better soup. Oof, the greatest, hard greatest soup. The greatest soup is mulligatawny, uh, to answer your question. But <laughs> oh, did I ask you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but as many people are aware, and now you will all become aware, I worked at a Chinese restaurant for over two years. Shout out to CT Lounge. I love Chinese food. I love wonton soup. There is no, you can't go wrong with any Chinese food. I didn't put any of it in my top five because. It's 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 like Sophie's choice. It's really it would pain me to put any of it above any of the rest. Hey. So I didn't put any wonton soup, but I cannot fault you. Or wonton soup dumplings for that matter. Wow. Well, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. And I gotta give a special shout out to my hometown spot from growing up, China Pavilion, Orange, Connecticut. Best best Chinese food I've ever had. If you're ever wow. if you ever find yourself near New Haven, Orange is just about 15 minutes away. Check out China Pavilion, bro. Did I tell you uh, when I was in Manhattan about a year ago? I just like randomly stumbled upon this Chinese place and decided to try it out, and it was like it was literally it just tasted like childhood. It tasted like everybody's oh my childhood God. Chinese restaurant from Connecticut. I'm not even going to say its name because I'm too afraid people will go there. Okay, you tell I, tell me after the. I podcast. want to be able to walk in at any moment and have just the greatest Chinese food. It brought me so much joy. I can't even begin oh to describe God. it. I know the exact feeling you're talking about. Yes. If anyone else knows that feeling, feel free to message us, and maybe Mike will reveal his secrets to you. I'll I'll probably end up chatting it out anyway. So I want to make sure <laughs> they, they stay in business. But okay. Number two, I might lose some people here, and and I'm very curious to see what you think about this. My number two is pate. Okay. I mean, I, I don't like really think about it that much, so it's like I like okay. I actually have no hate about this because I, I like it a lot. I just order it very rarely. Yeah. So, I mean, it is definitely more common, like the type of place you find it at in Europe. Like I get it at like pubs all the time. And here is, it's a little bit more like fancy restaurant. Yeah. In fancy America. like new, new American stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like liver, I get that. It's not like something we tend to grow up with in America. So like it's, kind of an acquired taste and i do get that however just as you're confident 
that Inner Bloom is one of the top five greatest songs ever written. Wow. I can tell you right now. The Goat Liver Moose, that girl and the goat in Chicago, is without question oh. one of the top five greatest bites of food on Earth in the gal- in the whole solar system. Oh. There is simply one of the greatest bites that you could ever have. Big shout out to my wife for getting takeaway before you can get takeaway from these restaurants because there was no pandemic. Sneaking two orders of goat liver moose out the back door for my birthday. Single happiest moment of my life. Just the greatest, just thinking about it now is almost making me cry. It's the greatest fucking bite of food ever. Dude, I need, when are we going? Well, I don't know. We have to go to Chicago. <laughs> and, and it's and it's been open for like 12 years, and it's a two-month wait for 12 years. Holy shit. It's just so fuck. And I just love Girl on the Goat so much. But this bite of food is just – I can't even describe it. It's served with like with these warm crumpets, and there's like all these little you know, pickled veggies and fruity things. I just, it's just the fucking best. This I, even, I like need I to go eat now. Seriously. I'm sorry. I'm leaving the podcast. I'm going to eat. Um, so what? If you, if you don't love pate, give it a chance. And there's just some exceptional ones out there. Wow. All right. My number two. Lot more classic than pate. But delicious nonetheless. My number two is Caesar salad. Many, many may call this a boring choice. Very spicy in that it's boring. And I could give a fuck. I couldn't give a fuck less because it is so. I would say maybe even a year ago, maybe a year or two ago, I would have forgotten to put this on the list. And there was this one night I was I was out to dinner with my girlfriend and. We got a Caesar salad, and it sort of reignited my love in Caesar salads. I was like, why have I not been ordering this whenever I'm in an Italian restaurant or anywhere where you would get a Caesar salad? It's just such a tasty, delightful, somewhat refreshing thing to put in your mouth before you dive deeper into the meal. If I'm going deep into a heavy Italian meal, if I'm going to get a chicken parm dinner, if I'm going to get some heavy pasta, what better way to start off than put a little salad in my mouth and the Caesar, oh, just the, the Caesar dressing, just, you know, the iceberg or the romaine lettuce, the croutons, you need the croutons. Don't, don't fucking stiff me on the croutons. It's just, it's such a delicious meshing of such simple ingredients i just think it's a classic and sometimes the classics deserve to be in the top five and for me caesar salad i'm sure there's a lot of haters out there don't knock it until you get back on the train love them okay so my number one is also a classic but i'm first gonna take some heat away from you for your caesar salad pick by giving you an even spicier take which is so I was a, obviously you already know this, but I was a vegetarian or vegan for four years. I therefore love salad. 
Shout I out salad. Eat, I eat no dressing at all on my salad. I eat a plain naked salad. Wow. Only my entire life. To this day. I mean, I've had a few different ones, but like I will never order a salad with any dressing on it whatsoever. So that is for sure weirder than your Caesar salad. And therefore, I think you have a reasonable pick. Thank you, sir. My number one, an absolute classic. For me, a no-brainer, the most classic. You don't have to put it number one, but the most classic appetizer. Nachos, specifically pulled pork nachos, specifically pulled pork nachos from Sunset. We love you, Sunset. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, nachos, to me, I think they have that classic, like, sex or pizza. Even the worst versions are still pretty fucking good. And you, you, everybody at the table will have some. Even people that are like, no, I won't have any. They fucking will. They'll always have some. <laughs> you, you, the, somehow the plate is always gigantic, no matter the cost. You get, like, a gigantic portion that makes you not even want to eat anymore. So in that sense, it's not a good appetizer. <laughs> but you're out at the bar. You're at home. You just throw some shit together. A few simple ingredients. If you have pulled pork, you're really taking it to this insane level. But even just the basics, the, the, the whole is so much more than the sum of its parts. It's, it's truly a, a magical alchemy that's happening when you put the stuff together. And to me, like I said, it's the number one classic. may not be your favorite, but it is the go-to appetizer. Wow. So, first of all, I'm going to say Sunset Cantina nachos, pulled pork nachos specifically, are without a doubt my single favorite appetizer in the world that I've ever had to this point in my life. With that said, nachos is not on my list, and I will give you my reasoning. I agree. It's very likely the most classic. And your reasoning, Mike, was was beautiful. And I, outside of su- this specific place that Mike mentioned, Sunset, I never order nachos. I'm with people a lot of times where it gets ordered. And then, of course, as Mike said, of course I eat some. But I've never had nachos that are anywhere near as good as those ones. We spent so many, so many days and nights when we were at BU going to this place. It, it truly, anyone that has ever visited there, they've all been like, these, these are the best nachos I've ever had in my life. They're insane. But for me, nachos just don't quite scratch the itch for me. Like if they're not, up to that quality, which I've had a okay. few other ones that are good, but that's why I didn't pick it, which is like, but, but, but sunset nachos are my single like favorite app. But I just, since obviously we haven't lived in Boston in a long time, I never really eat them out here unless friends order them. I just couldn't even put it on the list, but I fully support that number one. And I'm so happy you did, because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about Sunset Cantina nachos in Boston right now. And I agree that they're probably the most classic nachos. 
It's just everything you said about him. With that said, I have a different number one. And it's it's an app that you cannot share. It's a it's definitely a singular app. But I've loved them since I was a little boy. And I still cannot get this type of food. And truly, truly every single time I need to order this. Wonton soup, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't order it. But the one thing that I order every single time I ever get Chinese food is an egg roll. My number one wow. app. Two Chinese in the top five. Yep. Incredible. And special shout out to Genghis Cohen. Yes, named after my last oh name. My God. Genghis Cohen's. Genghis Cohen in Los Angeles, California. I got to say, L.A. does not compare to the East Coast when it comes to the Chinese food. But holy shit, these egg rolls are the best egg rolls I've ever had. Genghis Cohen's legendary. Legendary. My mom came out here to visit. She has Chinese all the time on the East Coast. She still lives in Connecticut. And she told me it was the best egg roll she's ever had in her life. So that says something. But incredible egg rolls there specifically. But I just, I love egg rolls. I think in a sense they're underrated. I know they're so standard, but I feel like people forget about them a lot. I love Chinese food. I I don't eat it as much now, to be honest, as when I was younger. But I have a big soft spot for it. Every time I get it, it's it's a treasure. And it always starts with an egg roll. And it's it's just that one app that above any other app, I I cannot eat. Like I can go to an Italian restaurant and maybe I don't get a Caesar salad. I can go to a Chinese restaurant and maybe I don't get wonton soup every time. I can go to any pub and maybe I'm not getting wings. I can go to any Mexican restaurant or pub or anything, and I might not get chips and guac. But if I am eating Chinese food, I am going to be eating an egg roll. And that's really the reasoning right there. I feel like the egg roll is the fried calamari of Chinese food. Is it? (laughs) 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 You son of a bitch. Absolutely. Did you just did you just do that to me? You son of a bitch. Look, again, I already told you I worked in a Chinese restaurant. I love egg rolls. I've eaten so so many egg rolls in my life. It also means the man's we, an expert. We could do easily a top five list of just Chinese appetizers. Oof. There's no way to, you know I have a Asian roll type item in my top five, so I can't fault you at all. Wow. Well, hell of a way to end that. I'm not done. I don't want to be done. No, me either. But it's been a journey. Thanks for thanks for spending all this time with us. Can I give some quick appetizer shout outs? Absolutely. Did you really really just come up with five and that's it? You're content to leave it there? I mean, I did it because I felt like I had to, but I, of course yeah. there's other ones. I'll give a couple shout outs with you. There's ones in my head that I had had in the five spot that I threw out. So 
Okay, so really, I just want to give some shout outs to some staples that will not make our lists. It probably won't make anybody else's list, but deserve their day, which is Pigs in a Blanket. Dude, yes. That was the one that I wanted to put in my five and just I didn't because it's like you don't really get it at a restaurant, but it is so fucking good. If you're at a Super Bowl party and you don't have Pigs in a Blanket, you're at the wrong party. 100%. Warm bread and butter. Oh, you're at the restaurant. You get that bread basket. Maybe you get a little variety. Maybe even a little fancy butter. Mm. I mean, it's just so fucking good. And everybody knows because they've been baking since the pandemic is happening. Just bread is so good, dude. That might be the most underrated app ever. Oh, agreed. Agreed. The most underrated. It's so fucking good and so forgotten by so. I'm actually mad at myself that that's not in my top five because I love it so much. It's hard to put up there, it's but hard. it's so fucking good. Wow. And my last shout. sort of underappreciated is the very humble plate of cheese and crackers. It's been at every party since forever. And it's the only one of these that. If it's like one o'clock uh-huh. and we're and we're eating after the first football games at four thirty, I could eat cheese and crackers and that will hold me over until the actual meal. I, There's so much substance there. I feel like it deserves a shout out. Look, I don't disagree, but I find them overrated. How are they overrated? There's no rating. I feel like everyone it's loves cheese and crackers, food. and I'm like, they're all right. There's a lot of other things I'd rather eat. All right, give me a few shout-outs and wrap this up. All right. few shout-outs for me. Dumplings. Oh, my God. You're still still in China? (laughs) Hey, this could be... (laughs) This this could be Chinese. This could be Japanese. This could be Thai. Dumplings are the fried calamari of Chinese. (laughs) Hey, that means egg rolls aren't, so I'll take it. So, yeah, yeah, you're right, though. They do come in many different shapes and sizes and cultures. Yes, and, and they're delicious. So I feel like they deserve a shout-out. Another another shout for me, jalapeno poppers. Love them. Ooh. Yeah, if you're ever, like, you catch yourself at, like, a TGI Fridays or Applebee's or some shit, jalapeno poppers, mozzarella sticks, mm. end of discussion. They'll do, they'll do you right. There you go. And there's another honorable mention, and... I think we'll wrap it up with, I mean, those are really all the mentions I had to give. But if we really just wanted to throw one more into the mix, I'll say something that I don't order a lot, but whenever I get it, I love it. Crab Rangoon. Oh, my God. (laughs) I said it just to make you lose it. I will say also. That from the inability to pronounce crab rangoon, <laughs> in my family, crab rangoons are still jokingly known as crab raccoons. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Amazing. Wow. Well, Unbelievable. What an episode. What a journey. What an episode. So many top fives. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that. There'll be many more top five podcasts to come. And uh, until next time, go eat some apps. Especially Chinese. Especially Chinese.
and look, if you want to reach us, you want to make any comments about any of this, you want to ask us some questions, email us at top5sanddeepdives at gmail.com. And on Instagram, you can find us at top5sanddeepdives. We'll see you next time. See ya. Peace.